Hello folks and welcome to episode 100 of Link to the Cast from your friends here at linktothecast.eu. Man, I, and I thought I felt old turning 30. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am by my long-suffering co-host, <laughs> the platforming prodigy, Mark God, Robinson. God, can you remember, like, I was the thinking about November, this. The Gunfire Treason and Plot? I was... <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, uh, like the kind of the concept for this show happening. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is what we, we'll get into. We're here for episode one hundred anyway. Yeah, yeah special yeah. celebration episode uh, coming up on this episode. You're going to be hearing from a lot of our our past guests on the show. The theme of the show, when we get into that part, uh, is what's the first game that made you fall in love with gaming? So you're going to hear a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different games. Some of which, and I haven't heard a couple of the segments because we kind of have both been taking the reins and recording with different guests when they're available and when we're available. Yeah. Um, I can say comfortably from the ones I've been sitting in on, there's a couple of weird fucking curveballs in there, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, but, uh, yeah, you'll hear all that, but kind of just at the top of the show here, myself and Mark are going to reminisce a little on 100 episodes, if you will indulge us for a few minutes, and then we'll get to the interesting people who aren't us. Uh, but yeah, the the concept for the show. I I remember so uh, nearly three years ago. God, now, Jesus, man! Uh, at this point, it would be. I'm, I'm going to get the the exact date of it up here. Well, because I'm trying to think. So I've been living in Ireland for two years. Two, two years yesterday, uh, as we're yeah. recording this. Um. So then there's the six months that I was away in China. Yeah. And then I guess there was six months or so before that i don't know if it even was six months it was over that summer or it was it was either over that summer or it was just before the summer yeah um because yeah because there would only be i about, remember it was, only was nine it, episodes or so before i went yeah i remember it was definitely summer time when we started i'll get again i'm looking up the date as we're speaking here um but um I remember on the first episode, one of my very first comments that I ever made on the show was that it was definitely a time of year where it should have been warm, but it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember that. But yeah, when what was the, the, the genesis of the concept? Well, here's the thing. Um, I had a, a video game podcast before this called Analog Shtick, which I still mm. think is a great name. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. That was done with me and my, my good friend, Russ Morris, uh, who I went to university with. Um, May 17th, 2015 was wow. the first episode. Link to the past, obviously, yeah, being yeah, our first obviously. one. Um, and we got on really, really well um, because we both like Elliot Smith and the finer things in life and bacon sandwiches. But also we like talking about video games and we like to talk about kind of how games are made as much as why games... Well, no, sorry, why games are made as much as how they're made. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just thought, hey, you know, we talk about games a lot. Let's just, we finish uni now. Let's just, you know, do a video game podcast and we can get people on every now and again. Mm -hmm. And we did that for a while. I was very much in the, all right, I'm going to be a video games journalist. What do people that do video game journalism do and say, hey, make a podcast, make a blog, all that kind of stuff. So I did the podcast. Um, I started to um, interview small developers uh, which is where I first um, had a, a, a chat with Peter Wellington, who's been on the show a number of times. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, he was on that podcast. May or may not hear him later on. Possibly. Uh, and yeah, and I really enjoyed it. And then Russ went and selfishly had a kid and moved back to Cardiff. How dare he? Yeah. 
And so that just... Enter your boy. Yeah, so that stopped. Um, and I also had another podcast with uh, another friend of the show, Jack. And yeah, and so I really enjoyed doing podcasts. Yeah. Um, I podcasting just... philanderer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been around the block. Um, yeah. Where for me then, with actually doing podcasts, um, when I was in college, again, college seems to be because around the time both of us were in uni. Now, yeah. Granted, different universities, different countries. Sure, sure. Doing wildly different things. <laughs> what, what, what was it you were studying? Again? It was, uh, I can't uh, remember the exact ga- name. Game I know what cultures. it was. Game cultures. Yeah. And I was studying a Master of Arts in Military History and Strategic Studies. I had started a podcast about politics, both nationally and on a student level. Mm. Uh, the Student Observer. Much love. Um, and that went pretty well. Uh, really enjoyed doing that. And then kind of like after I finished... Uh, college that kind of well I kept it up for about a year afterwards because I was trying to get the 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 podcast had come out of an independent student newspaper that I had started myself and my friend Potty and I wanted to try and kind of build a legacy that the publication would go on after I was gone so I stayed around for a year afterwards to try that as it turns out no one was willing to do nearly as much work as me and Paddy did for no money so that didn't happen we ended up shuttering the thing it's a passion project it absolutely was so that was 2012 then by the time the the extra year had passed and this would be around about the time I think it was 2012 where I first came to Ireland it was well 2011 was the first time we met yeah because you came to (laughs) I don't think we ever told the story the first time we met no I don't think so so this is when I still drank a lot Uh and I came over to London I saw this fucking first hand speaking of podcasts oh yeah i went over to london for the football ramble christmas drinks because uh, i love the football ramble myself and mark uh, were aware of each other in certain respects uh from uh, an, an online message board look it's the fucking wrestling observer yeah, the wrestling is already f4w board uh, we, we knew each other <laughs> i had been told by people who had met you in real life that we would get on because you were basically uh english me yeah. as much as that you were a sarcastic git who enjoyed the Manic Street Peaches. That was pretty much the only connection that people had made. And that uh, worked out pretty well. Pretty much now made we're now. kind of common law married. Yeah. Um, so I came over and I said to Mark, who would have been the only person I was sure could was it within a commutable distance uh, from the board that could come and meet me. I was like, well, I'm coming to these. I know you like football. If you want to come over, boom, we'll meet up. I remember very little of our first you meeting because many, drunk. many Stella Artois were had. Yeah. I was very disappointed that was all they had, but after a few, it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and it was very, and very I hazy. Think, I, I think I may have been like, this was when I was on my um, straight, not straight edge, but like... You were, until like, maybe shortly before you went to China. I think the first time I ever saw you drink was the last time I saw you before China. Yeah, yeah. I had a good few years where I wasn't drinking at mm. all. Uh, and so that was... A long evening in some respects. Mm. Now, granted, once... I think I had started sober before you left, because I, I had started to remember things. But I have no... There's a photo of us that I'll probably post with this podcast, <laughs> just for the laugh. Sure. Um, that is of us. And you can clearly tell which one of us has imbibed. Uh-huh. And I have no memory of that photograph being taken <laughs> at all. When I told people about meeting you afterwards, I remembered you as distinctly shorter than you were. For some reason, I felt like I was about a foot taller than you okay. in my memory. All right. Um, but yeah, that was the first time we met. Somehow, after that, we became fast friends. Yeah. Um, uh, God bless, like, WhatsApp. Yeah. yeah. Fast forward a couple of years, you came over and visited a couple of times. I visited you a couple of times. Yeah, I, you know, saved your life. You nearly Indeed. died on me. Yeah, well, that was what we were doing the podcast. 
Uh, oh Jesus! It was as well. Wasn't yeah, because we yeah, were yeah. supposed to record one in studio ah, when I was over there, but I got hospitalised. Because <laughs> the first summer of us doing the podcast was health updates. That's the one. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so I always had the podcast itch from when I was doing the Student Observer, but I had never really found anybody who wanted to do it. You know, do a podcast, or Your even po- had like the the experience the means. of doing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah or yeah. the experience. Yeah. Sure. So, like, I had been on one of Alan's podcasts, I think, at that point. Uh, Alan Farrell, he he hosts the Doctor Key Presents show on Wrestling Observer uh, FOW. I think I'd been on one of those. So that that kind of ignited my itch again. Uh, and then, um, fast forward to 2015, and I was just like, oh, God, what, what do I want to do a podcast on? And I, I was really into, like, Giant Bombcast. I still am. Um, and a bunch of different video game podcasts. And I was like, I could talk about video games. That's something I'm probably like, that's something that I wouldn't have to do too much more reading than I already do on the subject. Like three things that I could probably do a podcast on without much additional effort for me would be uh, history, politics, video games. Like even with the movie podcast I do with Jack, I'm going to see more movies than I normally would. Sure. But only slightly more. Yeah. Anyway, I think if I remember rightly, I text you throwing out the idea of doing a podcast about something. Mm-hmm. Where did video games was which I, one I, of us? I don't specifically remember like the the kind of origin point of us saying, "Hey, we we should do this." I just remember us doing the first episode, kind of like, "Ah, uh, what are we doing?" Yeah. Okay. Sure. Because and you know this is part of uh, me in that I kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then they go, I go to do it and I go, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm yeah. just going to try and do it and see what happens. And yeah. hopefully it'll I, work I out. I think it was quite nebulous and it was kind of reminds me of the way me and Jack did with the Away Goals podcast and um, the Popcorn, um, Social. Popcorn Social as well. Sorry, no, I had some cut in my throat. Oh, I okay, couldn't remember sorry. the name of my own podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. But it was, the problem was I didn't know, I wasn't fully enthused about it because I was like, what? What can we do that's like the special feature? Yeah, yeah. As... And that was the thing with like the analog analog stick podcast is that was just like with that it was just um, hey we're talking about what we've been playing and here's the news and then that did kind of develop into I was doing a lot more of the you know uh, talking to developers and stuff. But yeah, you were writing that okay we can do this but we have to have our own spin on it because otherwise it's just another video game podcast. Yeah, so the book club feature, again, I can't remember which one of us it was. Um, um, I, I, Yeah, off the top of my head, I can tell you. I, I would probably say it was you. I, I know. Because the fact that it's called the book club feature, which I would have been more on you to, to think of than me. Yeah. So I, I, I would <laughs> Yeah, that you. book club does sound like me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so once I had that, then the germ of what it would be was in there. I want. I remember distinctly saying to you is that I didn't want it to be all book club because I wanted it to be current. Yeah. So I wanted news to be in there and I want to talk about the things I'm enjoying, which is probably where the genesis of playing this week came from. And I like Cooler World, but I couldn't talk about it for an hour. <laughs> no, no. But you did try last week on, <laughs> on episode 99 or 20 minutes ago on yeah. episode 99 as we were doing in our oh, recording session. Come sessions. on, keep it kayfabe. <laughs> you ruined it on the last episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we sat down and I think the first few episodes I hadn't ordered my microphone. So I was recording. You were recording it all on your side. I was ringing you from my tablet. Yeah. And on one episode, my phone. 
Um, uh, let's be honest. Those well, it kind was of on first... my breakfast tray, leaning into it. My back was in ribbons. Those first, I want to say, 20 to 25 episodes. Hey, you were only them... on about a dozen of those before you left. So yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying At that... least the audio quality improved when you left, because I immediately, when you like when you left, I bought a second... I, I made Brian buy... A blue snowball before we started recording so well, we had I, two microphones I have to be honest, there are some of those episodes where he sounds like he's on another mountain yeah well that's because he was like he was on the couch and he was do you know the way we get right up in these yeah, microphones yeah, yeah. to sound like this loud yeah but he was like leaning back and brian projects but he projects up yeah. with his voice so the sound kind so, of goes yeah it was but... kind of like the, like it sounded like this <laughs> It was just, and because he'd be, um, when he'd be thinking, he'd be leaning back, or he used to, in fairness to him, like he did a lot of work when he was on the podcast, he'd write notes, but sure. he'd be leaning under the mic to read his notes, and his voice would be kind but of... But certainly like the first uh, 10 episodes with us, the, it, the, the vo- audio quality has improved. Uh, and then the only thing is not the quality of the program. Well, yeah. And the only thing that's been a downside is usually when we've had to have another person in on Skype, and then Skype is yeah, because we don't so. have like we don't have the money for like soundboards and stuff yet. No, one day. Yeah, one day. But when the, the the day comes that we part, we're actually going to have to like part from the same house. Should yeah, I say. yeah. We're actually going to have to look into some of these. Jesus, things. I guess that's actually going to happen quite soon as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? So. But uh, yeah, so that happened. Then you went to China. I kept the show going because. The plan was always that you would resume doing the show when you got back. Yeah. Uh, but we well, didn't know how long that was going I, to be I, at I was going to try and do it while I was away. And yeah, then, that yeah, fell that apart just fucking yeah. straight away. Well, I, I think we got you on, like, I twice. managed to get on once, but just, oh, like, just once. internet was, yeah. Yeah, we had the Mark Robinson's Oriental Odyssey update, where you would send me messages on Messenger, and I would dictate to the people what was happening <laughs> to you that week in China. Um, Brian stood in and yep. fairness to him did a, gr- did a, did a great, great job. job and like there's a worked couple of- harder than probably either of us have worked because like that's a guy who like I we I, you know I used to slag him when he was on the show for it before like there's a very limited set of games he would play and he was going way out of his way to expose himself to new things yeah and like stuff like Far Cry 2 I would have never brought up because I yeah. never played Far Cry 2 so, and you, know. you want to talk about like people who were able to explain RPG systems in a way that I could never begin to. Yeah. That was your boy. Um, and then, yeah, you came back, moved over here. We've been recording in studio ever since. Um, Who thought that would be part of the original plan? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that kind of occurred while you were in China. That was a real, like, I don't know, in motion sort of like, yeah, why don't you fucking move over here? Yeah, like, um, I got a couch. All right, sure, <laughs> fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the history of how the, the podcast came about. Um, in terms of like episodes and stuff like that, uh, memories, favorite episodes. Um, so you I talked last week about how King he, of Kong is one of your favorites. I, yeah. Just because I'd never seen the film before. So just kind of recapping that and being in the moment of seeing that for the first time, yeah. kind of like, I, th- I think with King of Kong, you know how I've said that when you see the room, you have to watch it with someone who's never seen it before. Mm-hmm. I think the same rule applies yeah, to King of Kong, definitely. you know, because you're just like, these people can't exist and these are actually real people. Um, so definitely that episode, um, uh, Wheelman, when uh, Sam Turner and Peter Willington came on, just because... Chill out, do what you want. Just because, you know, we were fucking... That's still in Sam's bio. I know, God bless him. <laughs> like, because I've, I've chatted to Peter a few times and I, I consider us like 
friends to a certain degree, but this is yeah. the first time speaking to Sam, and uh, yeah, yeah, he seemed to really, really enjoy that, which is which is good. King of Kong was episode thirty-seven, by the way. God, man, we fucking smashed through some episodes since. Yeah, well, since we that was the other thing. Our schedule was real fucking scattershot yeah. until like maybe six months after you moved here. And I remember we had a conversation at one point where I was like, if we ever want to take this shit seriously, and you know, you could argue by our level of professionalism, we still don't take it seriously, <laughs> but we definitely take it more seriously. We, than at, least, we at least keep it like, strict. We need to pick Thursday. a day and yeah. stick to it. And I still have the weekly schedule re-roll up that day on my whiteboard in my room and it's just not coming off. Yeah. Um, the Wheelman episode was 71 by the way um, just for people who want to go back and listen to these but like pretty much up. all the episodes where we've had another guest I've always enjoyed because yeah. it's always good having other people and on there's and... like people we've talked to obviously the two of us have talked a lot to, to Jack so the rapport is there quite well I don't think there's a single guest that we've ever had on that I went oh that was a bit still that was a bit awkward no like the um like even someone who uh, uh, like I'd never spoken to in my life my, the way I look at games and the kind of games I play are way different from theirs when when Jupiter Hadley was on that was a great episode yeah, as well yeah. she was a brilliant guest to have on um, looking at things from a completely different perspective and, and a refreshing take on the show and, and sadly obviously the the, um, the only female guest we've had on so far which is something we should definitely look at addressing it's more in, been in the future it's been I've I've thought about how we can yeah yeah address that because we don't we don't have guests on that often and are <laughs> we're not exactly in the industry so when we message people we're really taking pot shots that they'll yeah answer and, you know we are more than aware that people are going to be getting messages or, or uh yeah like dms from an account that has 88 followers yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah we we're aware that um there are things that we can definitely do that we want to improve with uh yeah. going forward and certainly um yeah. we're not social media strategists because we clearly get like <laughs> we, we clearly get because we can see some of the numbers not all of them but like we know we're getting more people are listening to us than are following us on social media certainly but yeah. we're not people who are experts in there are people who know how to strategize to turn those listens into follows on social media we just do the plugs. We hope for the best. Yeah. Um, Every now and again, we'll talk about Big Zlatan. And, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but good guest Jack was on. I think like what a lot of people would say would be the big get for us was Kevin Mann of the Attitude Era podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of our more absolutely. popular episodes. Um, that was a great episode. There's a guy who, Jesus, I, I, one of the, again, one of the inspirations for this podcast is just that guy got up and started podcasting about shit he loved with his mates. Yeah. Um, not to like say that they didn't put any work into it or anything like that. They obviously put an enormous amount of work into it, but just showing that like if you have a passion for something and you have some mates who like it as well, fucking just do it. Yeah, you know, um, he was great to have on. Um, uh, for both, uh, for you, like in terms of like some of the games that we've spoken about, what ones have you enjoyed doing? Um, getting to throw you for a loop with the Neverhood. Well, was... trying to get that fucking game to work as well. Yeah, good um, lord, that's one of my favorite games of all time. Getting to talk about like as well as talking about some of the games I really love, like I really go love going down uh, memory lane and reminding myself of like where I was at a time in my life when we, when I was playing this game. So obviously the, the original doom episode was really personal to me because it reminds me of the first game I ever played to play with my dad, who's obviously no longer with us. Um, so that was a nice memory for me to try and revisit. Same goes for commander Keen and Wolfenstein 3d. Um, getting to talk about much to your chagrin how i prefer bioshock infinite to bioshock 
and knowing for the whole week but building hey, up to that episode that that conversation was happening was hey, kind of exciting know, to me. That's like there was a free song in the yeah, air that but, week. Like, look, that's what part of this was about. Is yeah. it's about exploring and and having these discussions. Yeah. So you know, um, getting to talk. I know we did our small special episode. Me and whenever me and Jack get together and talk about Metal Gear Solid, I really like because I don't. Metal Gear Solid was the one that most of my friends growing up were completely lost on because they would play the games, they would enjoy the games, but I was so in it for the lore and stuff like that, and they didn't give a shit. Um, But here's the thing, right? Because I could easily, I could easily, like, go with you and Jack on those games because even the ones that I haven't played, I know the shit, but I just, I know I'm not the person to talk about them um, because, like, to a point, I, I like to think that you know, we are just celebrating these games and I don't want to be the person to come and do the, the half hour think piece on everything that's wrong with the Metal Gear Solid games. Because there's a lot of things that are wrong with those games, but like I'd rather just, you know, take the moment to just enjoy certainly with something like Metal Gear Solid, just yeah. the sheer fucking absurdity of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting friends of ours on as well to talk about video games like I said Jack or, or Sean McGee as well who I still haven't been on an episode but we need to sort that out well I, you know there's another like 15 fucking Final Fantasy games yeah, we can do so I, I don't get enough opportunities I don't get enough opportunities in my life to, to or in my, my daily life to talk to Barry Barry Murphy yep. who's uh, I consider a good friend mm-hmm. who I talked to him at the wrestling briefly but like you know everyone's talking to everybody that so you don't get to talk to him for long so get to talk to him uh, about some of the stuff I've seen him tweet about for years. Like, getting him on to talk about Life is Strange was really fascinating because in my head, before I ever even played Life is Strange, I was like, oh, that's that game Barry loves. Yeah. You know, um, getting to talk to him about that, just getting to talk to to, to people we, we like to talk to in general is fantastic. Um, I really enjoy getting to... Um, kind of deep dive getting kind of you exposed me to games that I, I, I kind of hadn't thought about in long long time um I, yeah just good stuff all around like it's been I kind of said to myself when we started this like uh, I'll keep doing this as long as it's fun and as long you know as I mean? we can keep thinking of games to do for yeah, the book club. Yeah, because I don't harbour like, any huge ambitions about like, making coin off this. No, no. Um, by I'd any stretch of the imagination, I wouldn't say no. What I, You know what? Stamps.com. What, uh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind a sponsorship from Blue Apron. Apron. Yeah. not going to say uh, no to that. Um, How but about Lisa Mattresses? Oh, yeah. Um, or selling some shave butter. Duck. Garver's shave butter, but yeah, I, I think that I'd really like to um, like some unlimited anime. <laughs> <laughs> the two things that I'd like to do, um, one of them is I'd like to either kind of like how. Um, so, for anyone that isn't aware, there's a there's a podcast called the Voices of Wrestling Podcast, who have really opened up like to be kind of a whole network of a whole bunch of, of different mm-hmm. podcasts. And the thing is with um, wrestling, because there's so many different promotions, you know, you could easily and so many different angles. Yeah. There's so many different podcasts that you can do that talk about a different bunch of things. Um, like, so we are, we are up to what three podcasts now. Yeah. Um, if we could get to the point, I've, ha- I've had an idea for a fourth based on a podcast that's on the voice of wrestling network, but I, I genuinely don't know if I have the time for no, it. No, you, you will slowly... You, know, you probably know the one I'm talking about. I don't think I do off the top of my head, but yeah, we can talk about it after. But yeah, yeah. you will get yourself into burnout. So, yeah. but, uh, Especially because I, I might be 
making an announcement about a different podcast I'm appearing on soon. Oh, that's right. starting okay. up. Someone has asked me to be the co-host of a podcast <laughs> that may materialize in the next month or so. But we'll uh, see. So definitely like being able to, to open up the the link to the cast like to to a and I'm very excited and... about that project. Yeah, by the way, it's just it's a schedules thing we yeah. need to work out. Um, so if we can open that up, if we can have more people on, you know, I'd love to um, do a thing more with developers. Um, like mm-hmm. more what I was doing with Analog Stick to to get indie developers on because uh, I really enjoyed doing that. I really like kind of picking up picking the brains of of indie developers. Um, so you know whatever form that might take and just getting the time to do it, uh, which is just the the kind of the big issue now is is time more than anything. Um, but yeah, just you know still continuing to do this, still continuing to to find older classic weirder games to talk about yeah if if i were to have one regret over 100 episodes that i haven't written more oh yeah i that that's for both of us um Um, because again just it's a time thing the the written word is where i express thoughts best a lot of the time um and still one of my proudest pieces of work i've done on this whole website including all 100 episodes of this is probably that long form piece on bioshock i did yes uh, revisiting that when the HD collection came out, I, I really enjoyed writing that piece and just reconsidering Bioshock. Um, yeah, written stuff, and yeah, it's all a matter of time and and all these sort of things with kind of what ambitions we have uh, for things going forward. But we're going nowhere. That's that's for damn no, sure. No, we're still here. We're still going strong. Um, well, I mean, I'm 30 now. So 100 episodes in, yeah, still going. Not as strong, <laughs> but still going. Anyway, sort of. Medically speaking, we're, we're technically still um, alive. So. In a slow, comatose type fashion. Yeah, indeed. But anyway, that's enough from us, I think, uh, on the program. And we, we shall now launch into talking to some of our very favourite people in the world, past guests of the program. Um, they're going to come on here and they're going to tell either myself, Mark, or myself and Mark. Uh, or in one case, myself and Jack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> about uh, the game that made them fall in love with video games. These uh, interview segments were recorded over the course of the last two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on the sly in the build up to this episode. Uh, we've stitched them together here for your listening pleasure. Yeah, so, so uh, keep in mind that uh, some of the levels might be a little bit over the place, but they will be listenable. Yeah. Um, and obviously, thank you to all of our guests for coming on, taking and the time. Of course, thank you to anybody who gives us a download. Listens. Yes, we we genuinely do appreciate it. We, especially Mark, can be sour gets sometimes. <laughs> but fair, fair. Uh, but no, we do genuinely love anybody who would. We like it gives us a little warm fuzzy feeling inside whenever anybody. Uh, listens to the podcast listens uh sends us a tweet or a message anything. or as has yeah. happened several times walks up to me at a wrestling show yeah. and says that they listen to the podcast which makes me i'm very like if you ever want to watch me squirm compliment me <laughs> <laughs> i'm like gee shucks fuck, fuck off yeah <laughs> um but yeah no we, we appreciate oh, anybody that listens anybody that's been on the show um and yeah this is this has been the first 100 episodes of Link to the Cast. Here's enjoy. to another 100. Here's to another 100, my friend. Uh, so uh, enjoy listening to some of our favourite guests talk about some of their favourite games.
joined now on the line by the host of the Attitude Era podcast, How To Wrestling and Cinema Swirl, it's Kevin Mann, one of our more popular guests. Kevin, how are you this morning? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. And uh, congratulations on 100 years of your uh, of your podcast. <laughs> a century cool. of mediocrity. It does feel like that, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> or maybe yeah. that's just me. That's how we like to roll over here. We, we last had you on, uh, Kevin, on episode 58, talking about uh, No Mercy and the stuff you've been playing lately. Uh, how have you been since the podcast? That was way back in March of last year. God, how things been? March. So that would have been just when I turned 29. So now I'm about to turn 30. So uh, I've not spent this year kind of in the twilight of my 20s like I thought I would be kind of running away from uh from from youth and whatnot into middle age but no it's been good i got a switch since then which has pretty much reinvigorated my gaming life to the extent that i don't play my playstation as much as i used to and my playstation via has become so obsolete it vibrates <laughs> across the table trying to get my attention so uh it's been a good time for gaming since uh, last march definitely Absolutely. Uh, you've managed to peel yourself away from Yakuza 0, uh, which <laughs> yeah. we talked about on, uh, the last time you were on, and I immediately went out and bought it then afterwards. Oh man, it's like basically like, you know, like you've ever done one of those kind of uh, murder mystery things, and there's like a cursed voodoo item, basically, <laughs> and it's like I kind of tricked you by telling you how great Yakuza 0 was. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll check that. Ha! Now you have the curse. You have to play it for the next 10 months. So, you know, that's your problem now. I'm clean of the Yakuza curse. I got out of that early when the getting was good. I'm fine now. I'm expecting that to become my new curse within the next sort of month or two, because uh, Dave was talking about it uh, not too long ago, and it was kind of a reminder that, yeah, this, this like, just some of the, the, the side quests um, that you do, like going on the date with the dad, and, like, you're this yeah. made-up boyfriend, and I was like, yeah, yeah I think I think I want some of this. I think the the moment that game had me was uh, the I think it's the first chapter you play with Majima where you uh, beat up a man by being excessively polite to him. Oh man, everyone's <laughs> always wanted to do that. Like that's the that's the modern way. Like you know that's what we're going to look to in the in the future and be like that was a real turning point for kind of for masculinity and fighting. Just kill him with kindness. That's how you do it. Um, well, we get to the, the, the kind of the thrust of why we're here uh, as part of our kind of 100th episode celebrations. Uh, we're, we're talking to a, a lot of our past guests and we're trying to see, you know, we're people who have all kind of spent uh, an, un, an unreasonable amount of money uh, on this hobby of video games in our lives. We want to see where that sickness began. Um, so throw us in the Wayback Machine here, Kevin, and uh, talk to us about what, what was the first game or games that, that kind of made you fall in love with the genre, with the medium of video games? Well, like, my earliest memories center around, like, video games to an extent. I mean, I think my way, way, way earliest memory is seeing Predator when I was, like, four or five years old. But I also specifically remember, in terms of video games, when I was, like, five, I think, would have been, like, 93 or thereabouts, and we're getting the Super Nintendo for Christmas. And I remember that for two reasons. One, it was like the first video game I'd ever ever played. And it completely absorbed me straight away. Also, it, most of Christmas was spent with various people arguing, trying to set up the Super Nintendo and get it tuned into the TV. 
and my dad being very, very annoyed that we had tuned out the television because he would then miss the Queen's speech. And then other members of my family getting annoyed that my dad, an Irishman, wanted to see <laughs> the Queen's speech. And this all kind of came to a head at once. I'm not sure why I remember all of this. Like, it was uh, not as bad as the Sabutio Christmas. That really drove a wedge in the family. But, yeah, the Super Nintendo, it came, and we got two games with it. It was the... <laughs> the Mario Paint Special Edition. So it had Mario Paint bundled in it, and it also had Super Mario All-Stars. Now, I'm pretty sure Mario Paint was got because my parents had just gotten, like, computers, like PCs at their place of work. And I th think my mother thought that a mouse coming with the Super Nintendo was in of itself good value and would provide IT training for her children going forward. Now, little did she know that that would be the only game Mario Paint is the only game that ever used that SNES mouse. And I think my favorite piece of gaming memorabilia I still own to this day is the SNES mouse match, like, which just <laughs> seems to be incapable of being thrown out. What's this piece of gray mottled plastic with the word Nintendo on it? Don't throw it out. It's really important in case you want to play Mario Paint on the old version of the SNES. You need it. So, I mean, Mario Paint and Mario All-Stars got me into games. I mean, Mario Paint wasn't even really a game, I guess, but it was colorful. It had fun music. It introduced me to the characters. And All-Stars was a weird one because Mario All-Stars had, like, what, four or so Mario games in it? And I adored it as a kid, but it also frustrated me greatly. I never was able to beat any of those games as a kid. I couldn't beat Super Mario Bros., the original one. I sure as shit couldn't beat Lost Levels. Like, you know, I still <laughs> Lost Levels. Uh, you know, couldn't beat Mario 3, couldn't beat Mario 2. But I played them all, and because... There was such a choice, and it was also colorful, and they had such great worlds, and you know, I knew I knew where the warp whistle was. It meant there was enough variety that I never got frustrated and ran away from it. Whereas I felt that if I just had say Mario World as a kid, yeah, I don't know if I would have fallen in love with platforming the same way because I would have gotten stuck on a level, and then that's it. I'm still that way as an adult. I get stuck, I won't go anywhere. But Mario All Stars taught me the the, the love of variety, and I kind of came to love things in games that were like music and the art style and variety. And that kind of stuck with me ever since. I've been a Nintendo fanboy ever since, I guess. That that All-Stars package, um, I've never really taken the time to think about it, but because I remember when I had uh, my Mega Drive and it had these uh, kind of three-in-one games, uh, they'd be like yeah, MotoGP yeah. and uh, whatever football game. And usually like two of them were either okay or they were just like arcade ports. So they were like five-minute throwaways. But then comes along this compilation of like all these great Mario games like arguably some of the greatest games of all time and then you have like the lost levels on top of that as well and you think about the kind of bundle packs that you can buy today um, on the PS Store or Xbox Live or whatever and you don't really take it for granted um, mm -hmm. but to think back in like 92, 93 it's like hey here are some of what will go on to be known as like the greatest games of all time all bundled in this package and yeah it, only you talking about it now has made me realise that yeah that, that was like an incredibly good deal um even now yeah. like if you got that for a tenner or even 20 quid you know that's incredible value for money and also as well it set a precedent that i don't think anyone in modern gaming really has followed through on which was you know if you got the nes versions of those games it still would have constituted great value and great games but they touched all of them up all the backgrounds all the music all the sprites everything was touched up to be a 16-bit standard so they remade 
you know, three and a half games to a ridiculously high standard to the point that even now, this day and age, when people are like talking about the NES and the classic games on the NES and just, you know, talk about all time great Mario games, and I see they have a NES version of Mario 3. To me, it literally looks like they're playing a bootleg version of the game they picked up, you know, at a pirated shop in Croatia or something like that. It doesn't feel like they're playing the real Mario games. All the original NES games, in my mind, those versions have to be the All-Stars ones because they did such a good job at touching them up. I feel that it, like, it surpassed so much in its remastering, the original versions of those games. Yeah, because I remember like uh, the the Lost Levels. Um, it wasn't until years later that I learned about oh, Mario Two is not actually Mario Two; it's Doki Doki Panic, blah blah blah. And so I remember years later when I was reading about like the actual Mario Two, the the Japanese one, and seeing pictures of it, and I was like, that's not what I remember that game looking like. Um, mm. So yeah, like again, just kind of thinking back about how uh, they completely just remade that game um like the only thing i can think about in terms of sheer kind of quality and value for money is like the orange box for example um yes and, you yes. know that had kind of slight uh graphical upgrades to like the original half-life and whatnot um so yeah so that that, that was like the original version of the orange box yeah, yeah i think it was something which it was above and beyond i think even nintendo struggled to kind of do something like that. Because I remember when they, they re, did a lot of re-releases for the Game Boy Advance and for the, the, the DS when it originally came out. And I don't think they ever quite hit the nail on the head quite like when they remastered those games. Uh, try as I might, I can't bring myself to actually convince myself that Super Mario 64 DS, where you can inexplicably play as Yoshi and find nothing on top of the castle afterwards, is somehow the better version of the game. <laughs> I mean, they've never been able to remaster quite as good as they did in those instances. Yeah, I never actually had thought of uh, Super Mario All-Stars before as like kind of one of the progenitors of the, the, the HD remake, per se. That were no now one kind complained of... back then as well, did they? Because yeah. no one like, expect, had expectations. Whereas now you hear the phrase HD remake, it's it's usually a bit of a groan. Like, I mean, you can still be surprised. Like, the Wind Waker remake was, was awesome solely for the fact that they got rid of an annoying part of a game. But usually those remakes aren't as good. And like the new yeah. uh, Shadow of the Colossus remake is apparently very, very good. Yeah. Mm. Um, there, there's something to be said as well, like to, something you hit on there at the, the start, Kevin, is that like back in back in the day, there was kind of like we made our peace a lot more with a game we enjoyed but couldn't for the life of us beat. Yeah, you know, like I I remember <laughs> when I had my like my N64 or my my PS2 later on, where like just uh, there would be a good third uh, of the games on my shelf that. Oh yeah, I really like this, but there's this level about halfway through or three quarters of the way through I can't be. I still enjoy it, but this game hates me. Very few games that like this day and age, if I get struck or frustrated on a game, unless it's a real proper goddamn masterpiece, I usually will just turn away and just be like, Yeah, it's time to play something else. I didn't like that. Like the Crash Bandicoot trilogy that came out this year, I'd never played any of the Crash Bandicoot games before. And I was like, now's the time. And I started at Crash 1 and I got stuck in those goddamn bridge levels, which everyone who had a PlayStation 1 and managed to be able to play. And I was in un- incapable of getting past any of them. And I just get frustrated. I'm just like, I'm not playing this. I'm going to play The Witcher instead, or I'm going to play uh, a couple of rounds of Mario Kart. 
Whereas back in the, the day, you know, I had Sam and Max hit the road. I was stuck in the same point in that game for two and a half years. And I still was like, love it. Great game. Might come back and get stuck on the same bit I've been stuck on for two years a little bit later on tonight. But yeah, I think the, the lack of choice maybe or the lack of yeah. low price instant access games like you have now. It's, it, uh, it, or even the fact that games back then didn't offer you the immediate variety like you know breath of the wild or mario odyssey or games at the moment where it's like i feel it's impossible to get stuck on because there's so many other things you can go and do yeah. instead of the thing you're stuck on yeah whereas these games were more re- very linear you had to get through the thing to get to the next thing yes uh, and it, was a, it was a big case of like back in the day kind of like you know a lot of people who took their sides in the console war it really depended on what console your parents got you for christmas Absolutely. in this case it was like you know if you got a a present of a video game for christmas you were going to make damn sure you enjoyed the hell out of it so you just you didn't put it down as soon as you hit a wall you kept trying and kept trying or you'd do what i did a lot which is like restart the game enjoy it up to the point where no i definitely can't beat this start the game again way it's okay that i spent my comedian money on tasmania on the game boy it's definitely a great game even though i can't get past the first level or get to grips with the core mechanics i'm gonna enjoy that first level i'm gonna enjoy the title music i'm damn sure gonna enjoy the pause screen you know i tell you what dave kevin just reminded me that i need to sit down with you and make you play tasmania for the mega drive because if you're wondering how i became like someone who enjoys a bastard hard platformer uh tasmania partly because the mechanics are kind of wonky uh, and partly because the game's just fucking impossible um i should sit you down and make you play that for at least 10 minutes until you throw the controller at me uh, b- before we, we, we wrap up here, Kevin, when we do the, uh, the the book club on the normal show, when we're talking about old games from the past, we like to finish off with a, an elevator pitch. Like if you hopped into an elevator with somebody and they had never heard of Super Mario All-Stars or Mario Paint before in their lives. And you and really wanted to, to break the ice of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Hello, person I've never met before in my life. I'm about to just uh, wax lyrical about this game for a few seconds until you can get out at your earliest convenience and run away from me. <laughs> Um, so what what's the, what'll talk people in? What's the elevator pitch for uh, Super Mario All-Stars and Mario Paint? Why it means so much to you? Well, if you like variations on a theme of an upbeat guy in a mustache jumping on various sentient beings, then Mario All-Stars is for you. It's like four different types of amazing jazz, none of which you actually knew you enjoyed before you started listening to them and playing them. It's got secrets for days. It rewards skill, but also there's enough there to enjoy and pleasure you if you are not skillful at all. And also as well, it is pretty much the quintessential how to be good at platformers and 2D games guide. You can play these games and get on with them. You'll be set for life. Well, in terms of 2D platformers, at the very least, you'll be, and not, except for Sonic. You won't be any good at Sonic if you play these. <laughs> but otherwise, you'll be pretty good. You can give Rayman a whirl after this, maybe Donkey Kong Country. Excellent. Uh, before we let you go, Kevin, got, you got some plugs, some socials. Where, where can people check your content out? Well, you can, as always, check out my podcasts on iTunes, the Attitude Era podcast, where me and my pals review all of WWE's famous Attitude Era and beyond. How to Wrestling, an introductory guide into the world of professional wrestling, if you're looking to get into it or hear what it's like for 
a new fan to get into it, that's the podcast for you. And Cinema Swirl, where I show my pal Sam all of the movies he should have seen as a child and yet has managed to somehow miss out on all those cultural experiences. If you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm at Kevin Mahan with an F. And I have a Patreon as well for Attitude Our Podcast and How To Wrestling. Just search for those and Patreon on Google. And there's a whole shed load of stuff to get access to if you become a backer. Excellent. Thank you very much, Kevin, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And congrats again on 100 episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we're back for another segment here on Link to the Cast 100. And uh, I'm joined in studio now, I suppose you could say, uh, by erstwhile co-host of the program, although it has been a while, Brian McNamara. Brian, long time, no chat. What strange apparition from the murky <laughs> mists of the past is this you see before you? <laughs> it's <Tis> I, Banquo. <laughs> <laughs> we had a... We went to see Macbeth in school. Um... And just it was it was real bad. It was like a real local production of it because it was one of our texts for the leave insert, and uh, we're just like in the back, just going, "I love Banquo," <laughs> and shit like that. And there was one guy from another school who brought in an entire box of cereal and started eating it with his hands. Uh, a friend of ours tried to open a can of coke really quietly, and you know, opening a can of coke it always makes noise. But he got it open, and it made barely a sound. And just as he was about to drink it, I leaned in in front of him and went like that. Our English teacher turned around and confiscated it. Good times. Anyway, Brian, how are you? I'm good, thanks. We have chatted because we do still live together. Um, but on the show, it's been since uh, what is it? Uh, your your last full time appearance we have surmised was episode twenty six. Took some investigation. It did take some investigation because we were not so great at tagging episodes appropriately. So when I hit the Brian McNamara tag, the search results were all over the gaff. <laughs> um, that was your last full time appearance. Uh, Mark had come back from China then. Um, and then your last appearance in any capacity would have been episode 34 by my reckoning uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day how have you been? I've been good uh, still playing Fallout yeah still playing The Division not so much not as much no ah, that's a shame it's kind of The Division is now really I think it should be officially for the hardcore PvP players uh-huh. it's not really for anybody else anymore that's a shame that's a shame but that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about um, your, your kind of gaming past and, and where the, the question I asked everybody who was going to come on the show was kind of either what's the first game you fell in love with or what's the, the game that made you kind of addicted to this this very expensive habit of, of buying video games. Um, whichever of those questions appeals more to you, I kind of let people run with it and we'll chat about it like a book club here on the show. So well, what game are you bringing to the table here, my friend? So the game I'm bringing to the table, and I feel like possibly long, long ago I, I might have done a little bit of a spiel on this, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, The Third Age. Ah, yes. Well, I don't know if we've talked about it much on the show, but I know the two of us have disagreements about Lord of the Rings games because myself and Dan being hardcore console players were big fans of the Two Towers which was just your standard third person hack and slash yeah 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 because that was like myself and Dan in that time in our lives like Devil May Cry was our shit uh, so this was proper up our straza. But uh, Lord of the Rings, the third age unless I'm mistaken was a PC game? No. Oh, uh, see this oh. I'm bringing this to the table here because this is the game that made me want a console. 
Ah, because that that is something that's on record about you is that you very have a console. console. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like you went in reverse to most people, where you played a lot of PC games when you were younger because that was what was in the house. Yeah. See, we had like my dad was always like very up on technology for the PC. Mm. We got you know very up to date ones very regularly, and his take on it was it's a perfectly fine computer in there. You can play games on that. Am I fuck buying you a shittier computer that does less things yeah. and costs more? Yeah. So I've kind of I've broken this down to how I arrive at Lord of the Rings: The Third Age. Mm-hmm. Like I'll tell you the story paint, of paint my, me a word picture. I'll tell you the story of how you know the first time I encountered it. But I've thought about it and I've reverse engineered kind of why it struck such a chord with me, uh-huh. and then taken that forward to how I play games now. Mm-hmm. So I suppose start with the story of. When I first played it, yeah. Um, back when you're like a teenager and you know don't have the money to be going out to the pub or aren't quite old enough yet, yeah. Uh, we had friends who often had free gaffs. Going out, went over to a mate's house, staying up late, drinking a creative Warsteiner quality beverage. Warsteiner sounds like uh, a made-up beer from a Lord of the Rings type epic. Actually, wasn't that bad if I recall correctly. It was. It was better than a lot of the shit. It was are... better than what you were. What else you were legally getting your hands on yeah. at the time, anyway. But it's like uh... we all tricked ourselves for a while that Dutch gold wasn't swill. <laughs> but um, so it gets to about midnight. We run out of beer and you know run out of chats. And at this stage, the other guys are talking about, oh, let's play some tunes. We'll break out the acoustic guitar. Who knows how to play Wonderwall? Uh, or you know, watch Babe Station on the channels. Yeah, and I go into the bedroom find the Xbox original console flicking through the games kind of like ah have a look at something found this Lord of the Rings game Hmm. stuck it in and 12 hours later looked up and said oh (laughs) jeez it's the morning and everybody's been asleep and woken up and now wants to go to the deli rub your eyes oh they hurt a lot afterwards but yeah I I went through 12 hours non-stop of that game Hmm. in one scene just put it in stuck it on and could not stop so is is it now this was part of um the 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 Tolkien uh, EA partnership, the unlikeliest of partnerships, that also kind of uh, resulted in the the Two Towers game. But was this um, a retelling of the whole? Lo- this was War of the Ring own or story? So oh, okay, more or less. So what it was was basically you began the game as the character of Berathor, mm-hmm. uh, a Gondorian soldier who is legging after Boromir who's on his way to Rivendell because he's got news or some shit with him. Um, And what happens is you basically take on the role of guiding this alternate fellowship Mm. in the footsteps of the fellowship we all know and love on their quest. It's kind of like, you know, that that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they're going around the back gardens and they run into the... A, a different movie yeah with like Matt Lucas and Jessica Stevenson sort <laughs> of like, so oh, hello <laughs> it's basically you, you eventually like as the story progresses you add more and more people to your team until there's I think seven of you in total yeah um, and you know you've got a Gondorian soldier there's an elf there's a ranger there's this a uh, soldier a uh, knight of Rohan there's a dwarf you know and you have kind of playing off some of you know, the tropes that you know from the Roderick story and you follow mm. along so you end up at the Mines of Moria after they've bailed in through the door and you fight the Watcher in the water the big yeah. tentacle thing that attaches and you fight mm-hmm. that and that's the boss for that level and then you know you get in you follow along and you end up fighting alongside Gandalf against mm-hmm. the Balrog 
oh. after the fellowship have legged it. Yeah. And that's kind of how they progress after their story. After they left him in the lurch, like. Pretty much, yeah. But so, like, the boss fights are then interspersed with these cool little, you team up with, like, a major character. Uh, it's and it's, it's one of those things where it's events happening in parallel to the events you know. More or less, yeah. And, and like, brief kind of dalliances with the critical path of the saga. Exactly. So and it's got its own story and there's there's hidden things going on and you know there's plot twists and stuff and it's very I for a start got sucked into the story like mm-hmm. I really quite liked it um, and I felt kind of as well the nature of the game because it is basically it's very strongly in the theme of classic third person JRPGs whereby you have your main character and you're going to run around loot uh, chests and travel through the very linear map and have encounters and have your fights in that and all the combat's turn-based combat so you know you hop out into a random encounter and suddenly you've got your three of your seven guys on your starting lineup lined up against x amount of bad guys and everybody gets their turn Hmm. and uh you finish the encounter you get your loot you move on Hmm. um so i suppose kind of to take it back then a notch to what about this game rang so close to me mm. I had to think about this and as we were saying I came from PC but not like a you know PC master race type I wasn't yeah. like a gaming PC so it, it wasn't that you were like consoles you just didn't have one just didn't have one didn't yeah. have access to one yeah. so on PC the game I had to play most was Age of Empires uh-huh. and about my playstyle in Age of Empires before I even knew there was such a thing as strategies and playstyles in Age of Empires I realised I was a natural turtle Mm-hmm. So, if you're familiar with the strategy of turtling within RTSs, is you sit it's back. It's when, like, you need to go to the toilet real bad, but you're still a bit away from the toilet. Not quite. <laughs> no, it's when you, um, basically, you sit back behind your defences and you build up your resources and you get to, you know, the highest age and you get all the research and that and then you march out with all the best shit yeah. and crush everybody else. Mm. So, that was my natural play style. So, you know, effectively grinding my way through it. Yeah. And Dave, you are, who are familiar with how I like to play games, yeah, uh-huh. already you're seeing the warning signs. You're yeah, seeing, yeah, this is the oh, sickness okay. is... Already taken root. This is the guy who, like, it's nearly three years later and you're still playing. You're still finding things to do in Fallout 4. Yep. Yeah. Um, on the other side of that then, while I didn't have a console, I did have a Game Boy. Mm-hmm. But I had one game. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Red. Yeah. So, in Pokemon Red, as, you know, Pokemon games... It is quite like what I've described already from the gameplay of Lord mm. of the Rings. You are bopping along, you have your random encounters, you have your gym battles or your big boss fights. You learn a lot about EXP and leveling up. It, this kind of explains your pathology. Mm. That this is one of your seminal early game experiences. You're, you're Pokemon, starting- because that is like, that's the only game I think I've ever played where there's a huge amount of grind in it. And I'm fine with it. Yeah, but right now you're a beautiful minding how my brain works. Yeah, yeah, because it's like if that's how, you, like, if that's your kind of introduction, it's like, oh, this is how games work. Obviously, like, you're chasing the dragon then, trying to get that out of every game. So when I kind of take those two then together and you put them to Lord of the Rings of the Third Age, you've got a game where, you know, you can't speed run it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're travel along very easily um i found that when i hit that 12 hour mark that first time i played it i'd hit a boss fight that i could not beat no matter what i did and i realized after i eventually finally got the game by getting an xbox 360 when i was 20 
downloading the patch to make it backwards compatible and burning it onto a DVD mm. to put into the Xbox to run the, the program on it to make it able to play the backwards compatible game and then begging a friend of mine who had an eBay account to find <laughs> a copy of this game <laughs> because this was in the days before CEX or before yeah. I you know understood or knew about buying games second hand. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you play through it then um, sorry I've lost my train of thought going back Yes, I realized that, you know, okay, you there's an alternate mode in this where you play an evil mode, where you go back and you play all the major encounters from the last level, but as the bad guys against oh. your team, and you unlock cool and unusual loot and gear that give you an extra boost. So, so it's kind of like your, um, God, what are the, the paths called in Mass Effect games? It's like Renegade and, and the other one, or it's the good path and the bad path, but instead of having to play the whole game as a bad guy it's kind of like the match of the day highlights of the game pretty much because you literally just you go even mode you select the level that you were just on and then you just do a series of five or six uh battles in a row no break yeah. with just the bad guys that you had previously fought while you were playing through the game normally mm-hmm. and then at the end of it you get a chunk of loot or equipment mm. um Infamous so, does that as well like it does the full story but yeah go on. so that's kind of where like you know if you think about the grind then to come back and that because the first time I'd seen, I'd seen that and I was like oh, whatever yeah uh, but like clearly it was crucial to get up as well the exp that you needed to be able to get over that hump that I had found yeah then on the other side of things think about how I just described the gameplay compared to Pokemon it's the same fucking thing yeah you know um the turn-based combat the leveling up your guys uh unlocking you know your ult attacks I suppose you'd call them or your special skills Mm. um and building up your characters so one thing that really kind of thinking about it stuck with me from that game is that it has depth but with simplicity I'm going to kind of expound on this comparing to some of the games that I've liked, modern games or the games that you might know it. Uh, so it's kind of, it's a very straight line kind of progression. Like there's a lot of depth, like there's a lot, your ult attacks basically. There's a whole stack of them for each character, but it's basically, they're up on screen in two columns and you can go to the left side or the right side and you work your way down it. Simple as that. And it's fairly straightforward what they do, what they cost in AP and that it's very simple but there's a lot there the same with the loot yeah. there's a whole pile of loot that you can get and as an aside just key point for me it changes your appearance and so you put on a cool cloak your character appears with this cool cloak different from the last cloak yeah. this piece of armour you end up with a cool kind of mishmash of gear mm. you know from early levels of Fallout and that where you've got the best shit you can get and you put it on you yeah. look like a tool but there's a certain element in a lot of these games of that it's almost like these different kinds of armours of that is creating your different variation on the story even if it is just a superficial thing in your head your narrative has changed because your your protagonist doesn't look like your mate's protagonist and exactly because like you decided even, to go for that cloak that has yeah, the plus whatever even, even if it doesn't actually affect the quote-unquote story that much it affects your experience of the story because you then, dress them how you want to and then and a key point and a thing that i love in the cutscenes, you appear as you have clothed your guy which again at that time for people who didn't play a lot of PS2 generation Xbox original generation games that was not a given because there was a lot of pre-rendered cutscenes that you would just be in the default stuff regardless in cutscenes like even now it's not 100% oh, yeah. guaranteed and it's a huge immersion break for me like I find yeah. it, it it's very annoying and in some games like having certain costumes in cutscenes starts jittering the fucking frame yeah. rate um, but like to kind of take those two kind of points 
that depth with simplicity. Mm-hmm. Just to, to name check a game that, you know, you worry about me playing yeah. so much, yeah. although I've fallen a little bit out of love with it, The Division. Yeah. Some depth there, some serious depth, but there's no simplicity. Like, it's very, like, I don't understand half of what's in there in terms of the stats. And I'm at a stage where all that's left to do is min max and refine your stats. Yeah, that's the thing. The thing that bounced me off the division so hard was that, like, I love the visuals. I love how the game looks. I love the feel of it. I think it's a really good feeling game to play. But I think, yeah, the complicated under the hood stuff, like, there's, there's obviously the, the simple element of like you pointed out to me is like oh here's a very simple way to tell if this thing's better than the version of the thing that you're already wearing or equipping that's fine but yeah if you want to get the most out of that game you really got to go under the hood and that's where you just tend to get a bit lost see that's kind of the point i've hit because in kind of the early games up to up to level 30 in the story mode like that doesn't matter so much i kind of playing that i take what i understand the stats are there so kind of the surface game say that's good use it and it doesn't hugely impact your game Mm -hmm. when you get to the point where i am with that where my main stage is like nine days worth of my life poured into it and all that's left to do is min max and and grind for the absolute best of a single item or gear piece and that and you have to stack them perfectly together so that you're a tank or a heater or whatever the fuck effectively and I just that's too much for me to learn it's too late in my life for me to learn yeah. this shit I don't, I'm too casual a gamer to yeah. give enough time and to spend six hours every evening on the one game like I know you joke about me being stuck on kind of the same games yeah. but even to push it that far is too much for me mm-hmm. then just kind of as we were saying about the appearance thing on another point um, it kind of struck me did you ever get around to playing any For Honor? no no um, so uh, again, that's another game that I liked the look of, but I don't know. Apart from the many, many problems where we're for honor, a part that kind of kept me going a little bit longer uh, on it was that, you know, you get your loot and gear for each of your character types that you play with. So you can get better pieces of armor or bits for a weapon, like a better blade or a hilt or whatever. And, you know, they have little stat boosts and they're fairly simple and straightforward. thing yeah. about them is... There's umpteen different combinations of stat boosts on them, but there's only about three different appearances for each item. Mm. So and it doesn't have that kind of. It doesn't have that kind of kaleidoscope depth of, quality, like. Yeah, it's very. It left me feeling kind of. You it's, know, it's it, less depth and more the appearance of depth. Yeah, um, which I felt kind of let down by once I kind of had put a few hours into it and realized, oh, there's only three different suits of armor and you just mm. get better numbers attached to them. Like, yeah. um, So kind of if you kind of take kind of, I felt, you know, kind of for, again, how you do slag my uh, varied and colorful game tastes um, to kind of bring them to kind of an end point of kind of you know as we talked about what do i play a lot of now yeah. play a lot of fallout 4 yeah and you can kind of see you know what fallout 4 simple exp system the perks system is fairly straightforward there's depth but there's simplicity there's no part of a fallout game at this stage that you don't understand really in the essentials okay i don't mm. understand still how to do supply lines but fuck that like yeah um but you know there's depth but there's simplicity equally on the other kind of end of it Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. 
you know that's that's depth and simplicity i can get on board with because there is so much to that game but none of it in isolation is so complicated there's that initial rush of all the screens being thrown at you where it's like i'm never gonna figure all this stuff out by the end i'm fucking sorting my runes out and everything like that like it it, it's not that much of a stretch to learn how to play this game do it one at a time it seems overwhelming when it's all on you but none of it is actually that complicated so kind of that's really I'll throw it over to you now then to kind of uh, well, poke me with questions. I got, I, got, I, got t- I got two questions. Well, one will be the elevator pitch, but I got one question for you before then that interests me about how the, the game is structured story-wise. Uh, and that is, in your experience now, do you think it's better for licensed games to do that, to do parallel events um, to the story we all know rather than having a game that that, that does the story we all know? The, the two things in my head that, that I have, I was thinking about is like, well... I got really sick of Dragon Ball games that were just doing Dragon Ball sagas from the anime over and over again every single time you get one. Because obviously, even in fighting games, I'm a big story mode guy. I was like, look, we all know what happens. Freeze a saga. Boom. Yeah. Deadly. Um, and then the other the other side of things is like, wow, I, like, I really liked that first Shadow of Mordor game, which was like parallel events. Like there's a couple of characters from like... Um, Gollum comes into it but he's not in it the whole time it's events that are going on like before the events and away from the events we're, we're the filling out ring. what we already know here yeah like, and then I suppose the flip side is that can also be done very badly uh, and I'm thinking, sexy lady Shelob yeah sexy lady Shelob so yeah the second Shadow of War game not so great um, and then also the one I was really thinking of was Enter the Matrix which is events that were happening with Ghost and Niobe in parallel to what was happening in the Matrix Reloaded and even though nobody is, cares about Ghost and Niobe and there's like one half of a scene in um, in Matrix Reloaded that kind of nods to the fact that there is a game like because Ghost and Niobe are tasked with doing something that is basically the main thrust of that game yeah so uh, yeah to, to throw over to you do you think like if you have a licensed property do you think it's better to do that kind of thing to do the kind of parallel events while events you know are going on do you think maybe do your own original story completely and don't even intersect with those events or that or do you go just do a recreation of the events because someone like Tolkien has already told a better story than you're going to Mr. EA man see I think that question is already really at play hugely in terms of the other way around I suppose and that's in terms of movie studios buying rights to games Mm -hmm. and I mean I would love just to have a look at the script Gore Verbinski had for the Bioshock movie because like what where, like speaking of a game with the ultimate in story a story that's told mm-hmm. better than you could ever tell like do you just reiterate it or mm-hmm. do you do something new in that world or what yeah i think the answer to that question it all depends on how good your idea is for what you want to do yeah like i i don't believe you should just rehash a story we all already know i, I think i suppose the market is also born out because do you remember there was a time when we were growing up where every movie had a game yeah, that was the whole story of the movie all over yeah. again, and that's kind of that doesn't happen anymore. Not, not as not, much. It, it happens the odd time. Not as much. Like it was literally every movie aimed at teenage yeah, around boys the PS2 getting, era. Oh yeah, PS1, PS2. That kind of like PS3 is where it started to die. Yeah. Thank Christ. Um, X Men Origins Wolverine had a game, didn't it? I think. 
Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the cutscenes from it? No. no. I've never seen the gameplay, but the cutscenes actually look I pretty mean, interesting. I don't, I don't want to see that film again, let alone <laughs> play the game. Um, but yeah, like I think it all depends on how good your story is. Like mm. I love Lord of the Rings of Rage because I thought the story that they did and the way they structured it around the existing story was exceptionally good. Yeah. Um, like if you look at what's happening a lot now in kind of Netflix and TV, we've got our shooter TV series based off the film, our Limitless TV series based off the film. We're getting a John Wick TV series based off the film. Yeah. And I tried watching the Limitless, T- Limitless TV series, and no offense to anybody who likes it, but it's a pilot fucking yeah. pants well you see that's what I thought of the movie so I knew I was never going to I actually TV show. didn't mind the movie I mean like it was totally brainless popcorn fun but I quite enjoyed it yeah, um, but like the TV series like it's just cack like and I think that's I would err often on the side of saying no fill it out here like if you've got a good universe to work yeah. with fill it out or fill in the corners yeah. for us well like seemingly the John Wick one is not going to tell the story of John Wick it's going to tell the story of that hotel which it's about the continental which is like which the we most know interesting nothing, part of that goddamn which universe. we know nothing about and so yeah, yeah so as long as they, they do it right yeah, that you gotta could... do about the hotel or you do it about Kevin Nash <laughs> world's worst bouncer Kevin Nash <laughs> Mr. Vick uh, you know just letting people in if they're threatening well yeah like. so it's like it's don't try not to rehash the events try, if you are if you have a good pitch go with an, as original a story as possible like I, I put it like this it depends as well on what else has already been done mm. because I mean like with Lord of the Rings I, part of why I had no interest apart from the gameplay and like the two two towers third person hack and slasher is that yeah. I already know this story I've read the books I've seen the films you know, I know this story already. And you didn't get any sense of cringe off the, like, when main characters will come in that they're too much going towards the, huh? Huh? No, because usually, like, there weren't necess- there were very, like, brief cutscenes with them, and it was yeah. more the fact that you then got to control them as part of your team, yeah. and, like, they were all super high-powered and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and it was just fun to kind of spice yeah. up the whole, like, okay, I have my strategy, I'm gonna- these three are my starting three, and this is the moves I'm going to do, this is my strategy that I've worked out, which you can do very well it's, in turn-based it's, combat. It, it, it's, it's spaced out, like, you've been toiling away for a while, here's a little treat, go nuts, and then back to... Yeah, here here's a super overpowered you know character yeah. for you to play with with super overpowered moves mm. and you can have to rejig your style to have your guy support him yeah. you know as opposed to you know he's now your your heavy hitter uh final question now here as we're at uh, time um elevator pitch as we do in the book club as you may remember way back in the in the, in yeah, the way I was never good at these um you hop into an elevator with somebody they've never played lord of the rings the third age uh pitch them why should they if you lo- like the appeal of games with depth but aren't a hardcore gamer with time to put into learning every facet of it mm-hmm. it's a great casual RPG with depth of story depth of gameplay but it's not what's the word I'm looking for you're not in the minutia like, there, you're there, not in the weeds on there's there's a word that's not Exclusive, exclusive or exclusory there's a word that I cannot think of but um, it's inclusive like it's not barriers it to won't, there's no barriers to entry it won't marginalise you it's not It's not for the people at the corners who live and breathe games yeah put it this speed, the kind of mindset that you have to have to speed run platformers so Mark um, would not like this game yeah but the kind of somewhere in the middle between there and the entrenched RPG player. Yeah. That's where it is. It's not if you, the, It's not your hardcore, what's that other game that's kind of like Fallout that you like, but it's so numbers based. 
what was the one it came out on at PS4 a couple of years ago it's kind of like post-apocalypse Sorry. Wasteland, Wasteland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that's, that's too, even that's too hardcore for me. Yeah, yeah. So if you're somewhere between platformers and there, it's probably for you. It's probably for yeah. you. Yeah. If if you like Fallout Four and you're stuck waiting for the next Elder Scrolls and you didn't like Elder Scrolls Online, mm-hmm. wouldn't hurt to give it a go. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much, Brian. For thanks for having me back. Episode one hundred. Uh, plug the Twitter there while you're here. Get What's the Twitter again? Your Twitter. Oh, my Twitter. Yeah. Oh, that's plug- at Cargan C-A-R-G-I-N 4107 let me try to get you a couple of follows off this that'd be nice thanks for being on the show Brian cheers man and we are back on the line this time just me Mark going solo Uh, and with me to talk about what will probably be the oldest game slash console uh, on our uh, list of games that we're going to talk about with our guests. I have good, very good friend of the show, Peter Wellington, producer and marketing manager at Auroc Digital. Uh, Peter, it is so wonderful to have you back on um, because the last time we had you and uh, Sam on talking about Wheelman, which is still one of my favourite episodes we've done, um, I'm, I'm very happy to have you back on. Well, have you managed to chill out and do whatever you want? I, uh, I am. I mean, I live in Ireland, so I'm constantly at a, a optimum yep. chill temperature. Excellent. And you've been doing whatever you want. Uh, where I can, but you know, well, I, I'm I've tipped over that thirty bracket now, so you know, I don't really get the chance to do what I want because I have like responsibilities. Responsibilities, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what about you? You've been keeping it real. You've been keeping it chill. I've been keeping it real. I've been keeping it chill. I've been keeping it um, fresh. Uh, all of these things. Crescent fresh. We are uh, the two whitest motherfuckers. Swear <laughs> to God. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's been it's been lovely. Um, what have I been doing? So uh, I've been... Had I launched... Did we launch Ogre by the time that we... I don't think so. No, I, I, okay. I think that was in between. Okay, so we launched ogre uh at uh, the studio that i work at uh which is a digital adaptation of a steve jackson game very popular steve jackson game uh, it's like a tabletop it's like a progenitor to tabletop miniatures um a sort of 1977 40 year old uh tabletop game where you have like a big cybernetic tank and then a bunch of army things go after that and oh it's good uh it's a good tabletop thing so that came out on steam that did, that did well um and then we did a Christmas card Kickstarter. I completely forgot that we did that. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for some Cthulhu-based Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, and then, uh, when are these when are these podcasts going out? By the way, uh, so this will be. Uh, oh, we're going behind the curtain now. So our, we have the 99th episode, which will be um, this. Wednesday, not yeah. in canon with the actual recording, and sure. the week after will be the hundredth episode. So this should be out sometime around Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, a okay. real romantic gift for the listeners. You know, well that is very exciting. Um, so so by that time, uh, you'll be allowed to know that uh, we've just announced our Kickstarter for a uh, Cthulhu-based strategy turn-based game. Ooh. Uh, Yes, uh, exciting. So, so now, so past you now knows about this, <laughs> but future. Hold on, wait, no, future you knows about this, but past you doesn't. 
Are, are you th- are you going I, like all Inception on me here? I don't. I, I I think I've created a time paradox. I'm I'm too fucking tired to be. Doing yeah, it. <laughs> that's fine. It, it is quite late. Anyway, uh, <sighs> gonna gonna uh, basically. Yeah, uh, we we will have launched Kickstarter by that point. So, um, cool. so that's good. Uh, so I'll add that to the million links that will be in our SoundCloud bio yes. for this episode. Cool. So. Amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been keeping very busy, basically. Awesome. So the key thing for why we're here is uh, yes. we're talking about the, the kind of first game that you, you originally you remember playing as part of your childhood, or even just like the game that is kind of most influential to to you. Uh, and you, you've pulled up a doozy here, uh, and I'm really uh, fascinated to know the story because this is by far, I, I reckon, will be the the oldest game slash console that we have uh, on this list. So please, Peter, uh, do share, do share your story. Well, uh, my the game that I've chosen to talk about is on a system called the Binatone Color uh, TV Game mark six it's basically uh, a pong machine if i'm right it's ba- it's basically a pong machine yeah, now i don't know why it's called co- yeah it, oh yeah absolutely now i don't know why it's called color because my one wasn't color so um i think i've been sort of uh uh sold a, a dud here but basically um i had this uh system well I got to play on this system called the Binatone. I always called it the tv game mark six but i've been doing a bunch of research on the thing and maybe apparently it's called the color anyway uh, so it was made in 1976 uh, from Binatone. Then what made telephones? Okay. Uh, and they made like lots of other electronics. But basically, in the seven, late 70s, there was this with with Pong being this huge thing. Basically, a bunch of Pong clones came out, and that's really why the Atari 2600 kicked off uh, because people wanted different kinds of games, not just these Pong clones over and over and over again. Yeah, because it was um, basically like you, well, the the variations that you'd have on a pong machine is like, oh, here's tennis. Like, no, it's yeah. it's pong. Oh, here's hockey. No, it's it's pong. It, it's pong, but with like some walls. Yeah. Now, my yeah. question I have for you that I'm really curious about because I know that like these pong machines, the way they hooked up to TVs were there are a, a number of various ways that looking back seem quite hazardous. Like, was this a kind of standard setup to connect to a TV, or was this doing some mad shit? Yeah, no, of course it was. Um, so it was it was uh, hooked up via uh, like an aerial connection. Do you remember those? Yep, yep, I do. Uh, so it was hooked up via an aerial connection, and you could either plug it in with a proper mains adapter, which my grandparents didn't have. It was actually my grandparents. Um, or you could put like six double D batteries or whatever the sites, like whatever the massive, you know, remember those old batteries that you just can't get anywhere else now? Big circular. They look like standard batteries, except like massive. On steroids. Yeah, big steroid junky yeah. <laughs> uh, batteries. And um, so you could hook it Is that up. That's like what, uh, what the Game Gear used, or did that use normal? No, 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 no. Big I... ones. No, they no. I don't mean those square ones. I mean the circular ones. Those those huge. Like, you might not remember them. They're basically nah, this as might big be as... before my time. Jesus. Were they like so, flat so, and circle? Uh, so they were like they were tubes, proper tubes. Okay, so actually like cylindrical of, of battery. Right. Yes, um, but they were maybe an inch and a half thick. Wow. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, you definitely don't remember. So they don't really make them anymore. I'm sure no. you can get some somewhere. Are they like but... C or D? Were they called? Because I know you have some, like A and. Some... Something along those yeah, lines, okay. but they were so massive. Um, anyway, so they took a, they took a bunch of those and you slam them in, 
and then you got to play for like three hours um and um and yeah so so the other interesting thing about it was it would hook up to your aerial so obviously you'd have this was in the days of having to tune stuff in mm-hmm. um so you'd actually have to uh essentially figure it because i'm sure you've, you've got quite i'm sure you've got quite a lot of hip young listeners like like us really hip uh-huh. young people saying all sorts of things like present fresh um <laughs> so so uh, to them basically you would have to tune in a video game system to almost to to essentially the the frequency that yeah. it was putting out at like it was an aerial receiver for television uh so uh so you'd have to do that and um that would mean you'd have to tune it in every single time that you wanted to use it but the other thing is that uh the sound didn't come from the television it didn't port the visuals and the sound through the aerial only the visuals so the sound came out of a speaker on the actual console itself wow yeah and we um, thought the wii controllers were fancy for that kind of thing <laughs> i know mate I know. oh it was it's so good um you know they should have done um man man yeah they should have they were really ahead of their time weren't they <laughs> um so 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 they had that uh, and and just to give you a better perspective of what this thing actually looks like, it is brown. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was so the color of the seventies. Now that was, it really was uh, brown with garish orange c- controllers. Yeah. Uh, the controllers themselves are just um, uh, I think the Americans call them paddles. Okay. Um, so little circular knobs, basically that you that you t- that you twist, and when you twist them one way, the the pa- uh, the the sort of bat of the tennis uh, bat uh, goes up, and then if you twist it another one, it goes down. Like, that's it. There was no other button. So was cer- it was just purely, like, vertical. There was no kind of moving horizontal, no moving no, in any kind of... No, Okay, right. So, none of that. So, so keeping the only, it really real. Keeping it super real. Yeah. Um, so um, the only other thing that there was was on the console itself, there was a serve button. So if you wanted to... So you couldn't go and sit down on the... Uh, on the couch and play this thing you had to sit in front of the television and i mean the wires were tiny as well so you'd have to sit in front of the television with this thing and then hit the button the little blue button and and it would serve the ball manually right and there were six different games that you could select from so this is also pre uh this is not a a game where you can have like a a console where you can have different cartridges it was just here are the six games yep um and it was uh tennis squash practice squash which even as a three-year-old which is when i first played this i was like that's not a separate game (laughs) uh football and then there were two types of target practice and what this was was a a little square like you would see in pong bouncing around the screen and there was also a plastic light gun that came with this system there was a light gun oh yeah wow and you could you could zap the screen uh, if you wanted to play uh, with this light gun thing, um, and yeah, so that's I... pretty radical for the seventies. Like as a, as a child, yeah. like shooting at the screen, and that, like was the thing actually responsive? Did it work? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the thing, and and that really is the the crux to me of why this why tennis and why uh, I, I think it was called shooting. I literally think it was called... Oh, sorry. It was called, no, there was Target and Shooting. Yes, Target was my favourite because okay. it bounced around the screen. It was easier. And Shooting, the ball would go off the screen. So it was kind of like a little bit like Clay Pigeon, the, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's why this 
least those two games, Target and Tennis, are burned into my memory because because it did respond to what I did. And I think that that, that was the thing that really got me. Um, so I was... I was uh, I was three when I, I first played this. Like that's how long I've been playing games for, and I'm thirty-two now. Thirty-two, yeah. Uh, so old, and like uh, I basically um, uh, uh, I was kind of sitting back and thinking about this when I was doing some prep for uh, for, for, for this for this podcast and thinking like why why is it why was it so special to me? And I think it's because I. As an impressionable three-year-old, I had always had mediums. I never had any input on the medium. Like if we were watching television or if we were, if I was reading a book or if I was listening to music or, or, or whatever it was that was around me, the, the stimuli was, was coming into uh, my perception, into my senses, right? So the, the visuals and the sound of television was one way. It was, it was telling me the message. It was showing me the thing that was happening. There was no input. There was nothing there that I could... The only thing I could do is switch channels, right? Between the, the four channels that were available. Um, whereas the first time that I played this, uh, when my my grandmother and grandfather on my father's side uh, got it out and, and sort of sat me in front of it for the first time. I don't think they were particularly into games or anything. I think they just got it as a fad. Um, it, I, I distinctly remember being absolutely blown away at the idea that I could manipulate something on the screen. Yeah. And I think that that like that it sounds ludicrous in an era where I've just stopped finishing playing Assassin's Creed Origins, right? <laughs> right? Like it sounds absolutely ludicrous that this technology fascinated me just simply because I could make a very small white uh, rectangle move around a pitch black screen, uh, and a noise would come out if I managed to get the little square ball to hit the the little white rectangular paddle. Well, that um, that sheer principle of video games has not, you know, from the beginning of of Pong and, and whatever came before that up until now, that that sheer pure principle of player agency that I move this paddle, controller, button, what, whatever yeah. input I do, makes yeah. something on the screen over there do something. Yes, you know, and it has meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's it. That's what I love about the medium, like, and have continued to love since then. Um, playing it back then, it was, it was, you know, it was really, really difficult because, you know, it's quite a lot of motor coordination, especially for somebody who's, you know, three years old, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to get this thing going. Um, but, but I'm starting to piece together the relationship between all of the play pieces was an absolutely incredible endeavor at that at, in that period of my life and it was opening up so many different things to me and different things that I was starting to realize so very basic game game design you know obviously I would not have thought of it in this way as like oh this is interesting game design oh this is an interesting choice like but but I definitely have distinct memories of going over to my grandparents house on succession uh, successive occasions where there would be where I would go oh 
if I hit the ball at an angle, if I hit the ball at the top of the bat, it will go off at a slightly different angle. Whereas if I hit the ball in the middle of the bat and I would put that together and they go, oh, okay. So that means that if I, if I can choose to do that, I, it, it isn't just that I, I will try and get to the, get to the ball and make sure that it doesn't go into my net and make sure the, you know, stopping my opponent scoring a, a, a point. No, actually, it's not about that. It's about, oh, I'm going to actively try to hit it in a certain way. And that will mean that I can strategize. I can actually figure out how to beat the opponent. Uh, you know, I uh, seeing seeing the relationship between uh figuring out what a a formal rule set is of it's not just it's not just um that this this thing is happening and it doesn't have it matter and there are no consequences and and nothing's going on like television like the thing that i do i have to engage with the thing otherwise there are consequences otherwise i lose a point or i do not score or i cannot move the thing all of these are pretty fundamental concepts but they are they are things that just absolutely through a combination of complete minimalism that is essentially a clone of Pong, um, and uh, and through um, being very impressionable at that age, like being able to put all of those things together was just yeah, it just it just like wrote itself into my memory, and from then on, bat and ball games. I have like a real soft spot for them um, and seeing how they've, how they've sort of progressed onwards into, into different uh, genres and into different uh, eras and, and, and that kind of thing. Did you have kind of like the same sort of reaction when you first played the tennis on the Pong uh, with all the kind of feedback from the sounds and just the way it works? Like, did you feel kind of any kind of similar uh, tingle like the first time that not tingles in? Uh, Zelda, because that's just horrifying. But Tingle, <laughs> as in, um, like when you played uh, tennis on on Wii Sports for the first time, because mm. that's kind of a comparison I get, where like that was the the, the kind of next evolution, where it, where you had Pong and you had all the variations of Pong. Um, that kind of first time of getting that feedback of, hey, I'm moving this paddle and, you mm -hmm. know, uh, when I move it, the paddle moves and, you know, and there's a competition between you and another player. Yeah. And then Wii Sports was that, but kind of like even more immersive because, you know, there have been tennis games over the years. But, you know, now I'm physically moving a controller and I'm moving my hand to do the action. And yeah. I feel that, um, you know, when you do that kind of full circle from Pong to, to Wii Sports... Uh, it's kind of crazy to see like how the technology has come along in in thirty to forty years. Yeah, absolutely. And I do. I definitely. I always got a bit of a thrill when I saw how that base mechanic was being utilized in a different way. So uh, I would play a ton of Breakout and Arkanoid uh, and Ali on the Game Boy uh, Alleyway. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, like when I played tennis games and virtual tennis and Wii tennis and super tennis and those kinds of games, I would I would get that same level of of oh this is this is interesting, um, and and seeing it go off into different as I say into different genres into different um, formats and styles. When I first played uh, Windjammers, when I first saw that in the arcade, um, 
I immediately knew, oh, okay, this is it's it's sort of basically pong plus, you know, like the volleyball frisbee kind of stuff. Um, and yes, it absolutely always there's there's this little part of me that goes ah, and you can see it, you can trace its genetic route back to tennis or pong or whatever you know, which whichever one that you know you managed to play first. I think I also think it's 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 a it's a cyclical thing for me as well. It's a, I have this, I was very fortunate enough to be, um, a sort of, um, <laughs> I was very fortunate enough in some ways to grow up poor as shit because, uh, it meant that we got, when we got hardware, we got hand-me-downs. Um, so, uh, so the, the Binotone TV six, like, I was born in 85, so nine years nine years after this was actually made for the first time. Uh, and, and we're well that... into, like, the 2600 by this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, the, the 20, like the um, literally a month after I was born, Super Mario Brothers comes out on ah, the NES. Fair enough. Like, like it, is, uh, it is literally, like, yeah, like, that, that kind of jump in technology. And, yeah. and so, basically... I was lucky enough in some ways to, to get to have a 2600 and to have a NES and I had a NES until basically I, until I got a 64 and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Um, but um, yeah, so, uh, but because of that, I, it meant that I was able to kind of play catch up and see, I kind of got a full spectrum of where console games came from and where they eventually went to. And it really colored my perception of, of video games as a medium. It, it, it gave me a, like a really good wide uh, understanding uh, of different eras and what they were capable of. Um, and to that, what it means is what it meant for me was that I'm able to see now a lot more clearly when you start to see video games do their these these interesting loops that always seem to happen and so the binotone and the and to 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 an extent you know the the 2600 the nes that sort of era of 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 games was all about ease of accessibility especially pong pong was definitely the you know uh the ease of accessibility you know a single line that explains to you in the arcade exactly what you need to do you know um and i think the line is something like uh do not miss ball with paddle or something along those lines. Like it is literally one line of one line of text because Bushnell didn't want people to get confused um, uh, and wanted to just you know have it mass market kind of casual game. And you saw that with Binotone TV game Mark Six, and you saw it with those kinds of games. And then yes, like 25, 30 years later, you see it again with a Wii, and you have people say, "Oh well, how do I hit the ball in tennis?" And you say, "Well, you just you just wave the tennis racket," and then suddenly. It, suddenly this 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 medium that's that's been growing and growing and growing and growing in complexity ever since you know the 2600 comes along and goes oh, okay well let's let's make some kind of different games now um suddenly the 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 barrier to entry lowers want like dramatically once again with something like we sports um because you know granddad is totally okay with playing we golf, right? Like, you know, you, you, you're an uncle and aunts and all that sort of stuff. You get them in the room and like, they know exactly what they're doing, even though they've never, um, you know, they've never played a, a golf game, a video game golf game before, but they can, they can mimic what they've seen people do 
to play the real sport of golf. Um, and yeah, to me that this, it, it's just all part of the cyclical um, nature of video games in which we come back to ideas that we've previously explored. Um, and I think that the Binotone and that era of simple paddle based games is a thing that is a thing that kind of demonstrates that sometimes audiences just really want something straightforward and approachable and that's okay like it's okay for video games to be like that and they can be very successful um yeah so and obviously obviously i was thinking all of this when i was three years old uh, <laughs> when i was when i was playing this thing. i was i was absolutely thinking all of this. it was all leading to this moment yeah absolutely yeah okay uh well thank you very much for sharing your story uh within you know sacred grounds here hollowed grounds mm. here at link to the cast uh, mm. As usual, we will uh, give you the floor to provide all of your links and plugs, <laughs> and um, and then we'll hit the road. And uh, okay. hopefully, you'll be back on again soon. I've already told you you're coming on to do Wipeout. That that's yep. just that. There's we'll no that. even argument about that. That's happening. Yeah, that's happening. Uh, so yeah, so by all means, plug away, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Cool. Uh, go to uh, Twitter.com/slash or Digital or face find us on Facebook. Uh, and you will find our Fancy Pants new Kickstarter uh, for a cool new strategy game that we are making. Uh, you can find me on twitter.com forward slash zero zero zero. I can also tell you that uh, I have a podcast called Staying In. Uh, and uh, do come and listen to that. And maybe maybe we'll have some familiar voices as special guests in the near future. I have no idea what you mean by that. Mm. No idea. Mm. Mm. So uh, there's that. And also uh, because uh, I'm... Uh, terrible with my free time uh, sometimes I do voice acting uh, and uh, related to that uh, basically there's a copy of Factotum 90 what I did the voice for uh, so I'm, there's a Playstation 4 uh, uh, and Xbox and all these other versions of this game called Factotum 90 and I'm a voice actor in it and uh, the lovely people at Poppy Works uh, did, a, uh, did this PS4 adaptation uh, and that's just come out as a limited run. Ooh. Uh, it's just about to come out as a limited run. So uh, if that's of interest to you, it's a fun little adventure game thing. And I said I'd pimp it, so uh, so I will. So there you go. Uh, go and listen to my dumb voice tell you to do things in a puzzle game if you like. Um, and that's about it. Oh, oh, final thing. You should totally review and rate this podcast. For oh, goodness sake, yeah. go and do it. <laughs> like, ah, uh, shucks. <sighs> In, in fairness, right, the, the, the stats, like, I mean, we're still only going off of SoundCloud, but um, the, the the listens and the, the views, whatever, they're, they're picking up slowly each month, and we actually finally hit a thousand listens on one of our episodes, That's and awesome. um, it's the one on Arkham Asylum, but we don't know what, what it is exactly, whether it's the fact that it's Batman, or the fact that uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and his mobile game is the front cover of that particular episode. Yeah. And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with that because Big Zlats, he's a draw anywhere in the world. He's you know <laughs> big social influencer. Um but no, thank you very much. And yes, I do agree. People should go mm. and rate and review this episode, and we should probably say that more often. I think Dave does. I tend to zone out by the time we get to the close of our usual shows. That's anyway, fine. 
Peter, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time on this late Monday evening to chat with me. Um, and I have no idea where in the show this clip will be. So either this is the last one and we're doing an outro or there'll be someone afterwards. But hey, I guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks when this drops. So uh, thank you, Peter. And uh, yeah, we'll chat to you again soon. Oh, bye. back here talking to another past guest of link to the cast as part of link to the cast 100 this time we're joined on the show by uh, the roman reigns of audio that is jack lazell jack how does this evening find you uh this is my yard dave i'd like to say that this podcast is my yard <laughs> just to set the scene for people during this particular part of the recording session myself and mark are sitting what can only be described as uncomfortably close together as how we, dare uh, you as we're on lucky Skype you jack. <laughs> Jack, I can, Jack I can would fully, kill. I can fully take in his musk from here. Jack would kill to have my company this close again. Do you know what, guys? I'm under a blanket and I'm so fucking cozy right now. Oh, so bitch. it's all good. <laughs> you goddamn monster. Anyway, you're here to talk about uh, a game that that made you fall in love with video games, as all our guests are uh, coming back on the show to talk about. Uh, Jack, what what's the game that stands out for you when I asked you that question? So. I'm just going to set it up a little bit and and just take you on a like sort of 20 seconds through my history and my like relationship with gaming. So like when I was super young, um, I got given a Commodore 64 by like this rich family that my mum was friends with. Uh, and it lasted for about two or three weeks before it broke. And all <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Alan Sugar, I guess. That was him, right? The bastard. Anyway, like I had this tape game and it was like a mummy maze thing that I would just play over and over again. And so that kind of like was like a, a, a such a small ray of, of light in my life. And then it went away again forever. And I, and I went back to being sad and, and reading books like I probably should have done to get a better job later in life. But um, so after that, like my brother came back from Israel because he was in Israel for like a couple of years working when I was a kid. And he brought me back a Game Boy which was like, it literally blew my tiny mind. I was like, what, I can take this around and play it. Oh my God, everything has just changed in my life. And it had this god-awful Navy SEALs game on it and a Star Trek The Next Generation point-and-click adventure style thing, <laughs> which was utterly hideous and I had no idea how to play it. But it wasn't until I got Tetris for that that like that's the first landmark moment in my life of gaming was tetris right mm -hmm. so tetris i played and played and played and played over and over again until i kind of got to the point where i was looking a little bit more for games so the next game after that that really took it to another level was super mario 6 golden coins uh which i loved you know i just it, it was a little world and like that blew my mind at the time like this little tiny world i can run around and play and there's a space level and there's a water level and there's like hidden bits and it was just everything i ever wanted um to be playing around it and it wasn't really until i got a playstation that i got to my first general like utter enraptured state with a game and that game and the game i want to talk about guys <laughs> as mark could probably already guess is final fantasy 8 so I will say I actually thought that the game you might have spoken about was Six Golden Coins because I know we've spoken before um, about Six Golden Coins and um, I know you know we both have like and I think you as well, Dave, Hello. have an affinity for for that particular Mario game. 
Um, I wouldn't say particular. I, I like it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I will just quickly say that my my key golden kind of gaming memory, because me and Jack go back a long way, and I have a couple. Uh, one of them is uh, every time I'd come around, I'd see a Game Boy on the coffee table with a copy of Pokemon Pinball in, because his dad was fucking like ace at Pokemon Pinball, oh, if I remember Zen. correctly. Yeah, he, Zen. Whipped the shit, he whipped the shit out of all of my scores on there, man. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even try and get them back, because motherfucker was dope at that game i can't explain it um and then just a, sh- a pure visceral rivalry at a number of n64 games from mm. tennis and mario party and whatever else but yeah so final fantasy 8 now me and you when we were a lot younger um we would go back and forth about uh, me being the legend of zelda fan you being the final fantasy fan um, and in particular, you have this thing for Final Fantasy VIII, which to this day, I mean, I've never played Final Fantasy VIII. I only know about it in you and and uh, a friend of our friend of the show, Niner, talking about it, um, and just kind of reading and and kind of listening up on it. But what is it about Final Fantasy VIII, particularly over the other Final Fantasies? Because you think about the real celebrated ones, which which are six VI and seven. Um, and eight is a little bit more divisive. What is it about that one in particular that kind of really stands out for you? See, I um, I kind of think it's just the way like my brain is wired. I I can sort of appreciate that like maybe in terms of like a consistent overarching narrative, maybe seven is like a more conventional game. Uh, a more conventional example of like a JRPG, which is like now. But the thing I love about Final Fantasy VIII is it's just a bit off the wall compared to the compared to like the predecessors. Like it's it's kind of my analogy would be, so you have the band Weezer who had like the Blue Album, which was this insane pop hit that they sold like tens of millions of copies of, and then they had their next album, which was Pinkerton, and it was kind of rough and odd. And there was loads of emo songs on there. And you know what it is? It's Final Fantasy VIII is like the sort of rough-hewn emo version of a Final Fantasy game. And when I was like 12 years old, like 11, 12, I, that is exactly what I wanted out of my game. It was just, you know, it's it's kind of like the gradual cracks uh, appearing in your eyes of like what's possible as well. Because... I happened to play eight before I got to ever play seven. So I think seven would have probably done a similar thing had I played it first, but I still think I would have liked eight more on reflection. But you know, the, the reason I mentioned Tetris in its simplicity up to like golden coins, which, you know, had areas and levels and goals and stuff like that. And then to have this sort of realized world that was final fantasy eight, it just, it captured my attention and, you know, training up your people. And it kind of started off that, a real passion for like playing RPG games and, and playing like something with like a real depth to it and, and a sort of open world in as good as it could have been at the time. And yeah. And, and you know what? I, I thought I was a huge Harry Potter fan. I don't know if there's ever a comparison that's ever been drawn, but I kind of feel like the main character of final fantasy eight squall is kind of like this guy who starts off is a bit, edgy a bit of a loner he is a bit of an emo kid um and i over the course of the game he sort of his character evolves and it's like a really strong arc of story where he goes from this guy who's like 
kind of just a little bit wild and and throws himself into stuff and doesn't really want any help for anyone else to sort of gradually accepting other people around him into his life and he learns to become like a leader and he learns to be a guy that can sort of come up with ideas to get himself out of particular situations and becomes a good strategist and i think it's a really sort of satisfying from his like personal character arc and also like at the heart of the game is a love story and like you know again 12 year old boy probably (laughs) probably not the sort of kid that's gonna line up to see a rom-com but like this is a rom-com with like guardian force summons and swords and guns and stuff and i really bought into it huge what was your uh, what was your uh, experience on or knowledge on rpgs or particularly like jrpgs at the point because you say that you played eight before you played seven so like the only thing i could think of around that time would be pokemon which we would have both been playing but like was did you have any experience with jrpgs before this game and like um would you you know, I can't imagine you had any guides or anything because this is before the internet. So, like, how was the game intimidating at all in terms of its size and what you were doing, or was you so just kind of like diving headfirst into it that you didn't really think about any of that? You know, the exploration element of that was what really appealed to me. That yeah, it does kind of seem intimidating. And guys, I I don't know about you, but say like it's a TV series or like a game that you know is massive initially in the back of your head you if i i find like i really need to work up the energy to to break into something like that because yeah, i know that yeah, yeah, same. yeah it, it could be something that is going to be like a real commitment but i think at that age like i had no real idea so it was just like okay this you know final fantasy it seems cool i'm gonna try and play it i had no prior conception of jrpgs the only thing i'd really played was pokemon that that is pretty much it and, you know, a few other games. I was mainly into, like, football and racing games and, you know, generic lad-type games. Um, what, when my mum bought me a PlayStation watching her try and play, like, Colin McRae Rally and crashing every few yards was quite fun. She's not sort of in the My Dad at Pokemon Pinball League. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know anything. And I think part of that adds to the mystique as well because I think a lot of the experiences that you guys will probably hear about it's just a discovery before like there's any cynicism or any drawbacks or somebody's gotten to you to be like, Oh, you can't play that. That's for losers or, or anything like that. You know, that could have been any external factors in your universe around you. And it was just a, a pure experience. I, I think a lot of that is to do with the age I was. A lot of that is to do with the fact that there wasn't an internet and I wasn't buying official PlayStation magazine and, and reading any criticisms of it or anything like that and yeah it's just it was everything it was the music the sound like effects the colors like the story the realized world that was like balam garden which is still one of my absolute favorite constructions of anything in any game i've ever played to this day even though there's nothing to it and you can never get hot dogs from the canteen which is a reference anyone that's played it will enjoy uh yeah it's i nothing new about it going in and then yeah over the course of a couple of months i just kind of fell in love with it uh still to this day is it your your favorite in the series or uh, what has come close if it is I mean, 7 and 9 have come close. I, I really like 10 a lot. I really like 12 a lot, um, but I don't think it compares 
to uh, seven or eight in terms of its storyline, and six actually also has a really good story. It's still my favorite. I, I still dig it. I still, I like. I I realize like all the imperfections of it. Like there's a bit where you go into like this weird sub basement, and there's the guy that kind of owns Balam Garden, but he's like a giant yellow monster called Norg, and you end up fighting him for no real reason other than the fact that he doesn't want to save the world. He just wants the the seed who are the um sort of young soldiers they're training at this Balam Garden to to make more money. So you end up having to fight him. And you draw like one of the best GFs in the game, Leviathan, from him as well. And you're like, what the hell does that have to do with anything that's going on? It's ridiculous. But I love stuff like that. It takes some really weird twists and turns. And yeah, I, I can't say that like necessarily, theoretically, it's a better game than 7 or it's a better game than 9. But it's still the one that I love the most because it's the one that I kind of formed the biggest emotional attachment to. And I'd say every two years, I still like play through it and... I just still love it. Like, I can't change it now. You you say that um, it's like a bit more rough. It's it's a bit rough around the edges compared to to seven or six. But what what do you think really kind of is the key thing that makes it so divisive against some of the others? Um, I guess like the few um, drawbacks, kind of like there's a weird um, so. The Guardian Forces in the game, the Summons, Materia, Aedlons, whatever you want to call them, like some of them are missable and you have to draw them from enemies and like people don't like the draw system for like you, you obtain magic by like either getting it out of like these random draw points or like actually drawing it from an enemy and stuff. That's a kind of knockback. Um I think like some bits of the story are a little bit of a knockback for, for some people. And just the fact that it followed seven. That's what I mean. That's why I compared it to like Blue Album versus um, Pinkerton or like OK Computer by Radiohead versus Kid A by Radiohead. And I just think it took a bit of a turn and it tried to do something a little bit different. It kind of humanized the characters as well. It made them look more like actual people as opposed to like weird, blocky, cartoony things that they they went to. And I think it was that departure of, of art style that that really sort of turned people off because if you look at nine they went exactly back to the well of, of eight and they tried to i'm sorry of, of seven and they tried to make a more traditional what had been up to that point final fantasy game final fantasy eight kind of feels like they were trying to do something more real realistic and and that's kind of the direction they ended up going in with like 10 and then 13 very much so and 15 as well which is like a j-pop boy band in a sports car <laughs> so yeah uh, i just don't yeah i think that the departure from seven is probably the main factor that got it the criticism and just a few little bits of weirdness in the game but i didn't have any of that baggage so i just came into it as an innocent child who was like this is fucking great um now jack you've been around the block with the podcast once or twice before you know how the book club features and we ask for uh, an elevator pitch tell us uh this game that you love so much final fantasy 8 someone who hasn't played it before who's listening in now uh give it give us the quick sales pitch on why they should play it teenager with sword gun tries to slice his way through all of his problems in life by himself realize that he's better off doing it with a few pals and goes to save the world with a giant mobile essentially office block before he ends up in space and rescues a 
really cool airship to then fight off a sorceress who is trying to stop the nature of time and space itself so she can exist as a single entity without anybody else. Excellent. Thank you very much, Jack. Because Japan. Oh, because because Japan. That's kind of the Final Fantasy series in a nutshell. It, isn't it? it really is. That like, should be the tagline. It really is just like a synopsis for a nineties anime series. <laughs> because Japan. Yeah. Uh Jack, thanks for being on Link to the Cast one hundred. You got any plugs to hit on your way out the door here? Uh yeah, my Twitter's Jack Lazel, L A Y Z E double L. Yeah. Uh, you can always enjoy that for uh, despairing te- uh, tweets about Chelsea. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. You got got any podcasts that you might want to plug, Jack? Um, so I used to be on this podcast called Faces for Radio. You can get no, oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a there'll be upcoming David. I I think it should be the later later in the week as they're hearing this, or early next week. Yes, upcoming is the next episode of our new podcast TM, which is called the Popcorn Social, and we will be discussing a many many new films that we have crammed in in the last few weeks and hopefully January we will months. have both seen Black Panther which yeah. ah, I am yeah. very much looking forward to Indeed. so yeah that, that is a good thing and yeah uh, again I just want to plug Marcus Alonso's hair he's got beautiful hair <laughs> <laughs> on and brand on as always that, no. <laughs> thank, thank you very much show again, Jack. see you later guys Joining us for this segment, we have uh, one of our more popular guests on the show. We have Barry Murphy. Barry, welcome back to Link to the Cast once again. Thank you very much. What an intro! I'm I'm honoured to be called as such. Indeed, one of the one a, fr- a friend of the pod. I think you're definitely in that that illustrious bracket for yes, sure. Yeah, uh, and also were. exactly. We also have Sid uh, because Mark is unavailable away on assignment. We have uh, Jack Lazell doing his best Mark impersonation. All right, I'm Mark Robinson. <laughs> Dave, were you just were you just being racist against the Brits there? I was. They're all the same. Yeah, you know that's true. I love platforming. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Barry, what we're here to do on Link to Cast 100 is to talk to all our guests, the people that we like to chat to on this show, and talk to them about like one of the early games that they fell in love with, or maybe the thing that started this sick, sick, and very expensive addiction uh, to the medium. Uh, so without further ado, what game do you want to talk about here? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a, a quintessential game for, for us 90s babies to talk about. Uh, uh, you know, us millennials, us folks who got into games in the era that we got into, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say, Goldeneye, because um, nice. it might not be, it might not be the first game I ever played. I don't think that's true, but it's one of the, it is the earliest gaming memory I have, and uh, in particular, my earliest gaming memory that I can remember, I must have, it must have just come out. It must have been like six or seven or something like that. Um, I remember going with my friends on a trip uh, at summer from, you know, summer break from school. And of course, we went to the good old caravan park, as mm-hmm. you do when you're when you're Irish and a child and it's summer. And of course, the Nintendo was brought with us. And then our mornings were spent and our afternoons were spent, you know, running around like maniacs on the beach. And in the evenings, we had the tiny little CRT telly 
that me and the other youngsters were were huddled around while the adults played cards and we played some of that sweet sweet golden eye multiplayer and of course we we you know we did that throughout the years in our in our houses and and we revisited it several years in our teenage years and stuff but it's one of the earliest memories i have is uh sort of while on summer vacation and uh i mean that is that is the purest joy i mean it's it's an experience i think people are kind of chasing to this day you know you know the the the, the local multiplayer kind of rebirth mm. that we've had in the last few years for sure but uh i i'm glad that i got to like experience it in that in that n64 era uh peak and it was great and of course also the you know we experimented with all the slappers only modes the the uh, we put in the various cheats you know um which which blew our little minds the time and yeah it was fantastic um uh i'm so- kind of dis- disappointed that that GoldenEye hasn't kind of resurfaced on any other platforms, mm. uh, bar some like you know questionable remakes and and, and things like that. Extremely questionable sequels. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, but the the memories are, are still there, and I I honestly couldn't even put a, a, a guess of the amount of hours put into that game because it's it's too too large to even wrap my head around. So, so as a kid, were you the kind of kid who would, uh, when it was on TV, because RTE seems to have, like, especially in the winter months, like a permanent loop of Bond movies on all the time? Were you someone that like enjoyed the Bond movies when they're on TV, or was this just a game that was plonked in front of you, try and play it without the kind of context of enjoying the, the genre? It was definitely, it was definitely a, um, uh, a game without the context it was not a uh it was not a thing where i was into james bond it was actually i think this is probably my first james bond experience ever was was playing uh, uh goldeneye although i it wasn't long after when until i did see the movie and then various other james bond films as you mentioned any bank holiday or or christmas or, or not so much lately although i guess they, they have the daniel craig movies on on rte a lot over christmas but uh yeah i did eventually see see gold and i and loved it and, and i think i it would have been interesting to go back and and um play it now maybe as someone who's watched a lot of bond films and you know likes them okay i'm not a big bond guy but you know maybe maybe i'd appreciate it um on a fan servicey level yeah. Um, which, which I didn't at the time. It's kind of funny because it's like so much stuff like, like you know, the Batman games just off, off the top of my head. Part of the fun is the sheer level of fan service in them. And really, no one ever talks about GoldenEye as this like great licensed game. The fact that it's licensed, you don't even really care about. Um, uh, that, that was kind of a footnote in, in, in what made it good. Although, and obviously, you know, it, it kind of got superseded by Perfect Dark. But one thing it had that, that, that Perfect uh, Dark didn't have was that official... Uh, Bond theme infused soundtrack, um, yeah. which is tremendous. It's a really great soundtrack. Um, uh, yeah, so so the fact that it was licensed was was kind of just a cherry on top. It, it didn't register too much with me as a youngster. You mean yeah, the, I, I think um, like Sean Bean's yeah. Alex Trevelyan didn't do much for you in the game because that was what hooked me in straight away. No, no, and neither did did uh, the, the beautiful uh, triangle faced Bondies. Um, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't too uh, infatuated with them, um, but yeah, it, it was. Um, although they did have uh, they did have Jaws in there, which I remember even as that was the one thing I guess was I think I, I maybe he penetrated the mainstream more than any of the other characters. I think Jaws was cool as 
at the time. The was it or was it initially the, just the, the multiplayer of it that grabbed you? Or I, I always thought that the much like with the Goldeneye film, I, I thought that the dam level at the very start is is a very kind of like um, especially for the time a really kind of to a game that gets you right into the thick of the action very very quickly. Um, I, I do love much as the kind of multiplayer is the thing that's really endured uh, I do still quite have a lot of time for the, the campaign in that game yeah absolutely and, and I mentioned earlier like the cheats uh, I, I replayed that campaign so many times with all the cheats turned on and just experimenting with the guns you know and and, mm. uh, and also stuff like the slow motion which was just mind blowing at the time um, that you could run around at full speed and, and shoot people and they'd fly through the air in slow motion. It, it, it's very much the super hot of its era, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I put a lot of time into the single player as well. Um, yeah, that's that's what that's what really makes me think I couldn't couldn't put even a ballpark number on the uh, the amount I played is because yeah. the uh, um, the single player stacks up there as well. I mean, there was a lot of that. So uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good it was a good experience on both fronts, and that yeah that first dam level was really great. The facility after that, the snow level, oh that's so great with that great that mm. great theme. Um, yeah, really just really really satisfying campaign and and basic too. I mean the, the there's you know there's tank segment later on and some other bits and pieces like that, but uh, they didn't get bogged down in gadgets and mini games and stealth and all this other stuff that like subsequent Bond games would do. Or not even subsequent games of the same era on like the PS One would just be so obsessed with that stuff, and it was never, never really much fun. This was this was pretty much just a tight, solid first-person shooter on a console. You said you mentioned something about themes there, Barry, and, and seeing as we have our, our resident sound expert on, on the line, Jack, sound design is one of the the big big parts of Goldeneye that I really enjoyed not just the the kind of the, the use of the Bond theme and the different kind of like the, the theme of the snow level or anything like that but also even just the, the Foley design like the sound effects on the weaponry and stuff like that yeah. um, was that one of the things that was striking to the both of you at the time? Yeah I mean if you have a lot of N64 games from that era like there was really patchy sound obviously because of the limitations of what you could do on a cartridge but I thought Goldeneye was pretty ace actually yeah, it's um, it, it's got to be said that like it, I, I think top to bottom, like some of the stuff I think you were saying at the start, Barry, it'd be interesting to go back now and, and play it. Some of the stuff in it has kind of aged. I think that this the, like I said, the sound effects, the weaponry, because we're kind of living in the the, the, the you know the modern military shooter era, the bar yeah. is set a little bit higher, obviously, and because we're not on cartridge based operating systems anymore, we're onto discs and and things like that. The, the bar has been set higher, so that kind of stuff doesn't age as well, nor obviously does the fidelity of the graphics. But I think the gameplay certainly does, and it doesn't have the same problem as if you go back now and play the N64 uh, version of Perfect Dark, which was in many ways the, the spiritual successor to GoldenEye. The actual performance of that game in terms of frame rates and things like that really doesn't hold up um, because I think maybe I know there's four to five years in the difference between when those games came out, but that was kind of Perfect Dark pushed the the limitations of the system in a way that they probably shouldn't have because it, it, it gets very, very hitchy and choppy a lot in that game now, but GoldenEye still very very solid to play the, the the fundamentals of the gameplay are still there and i i, I think from, from what you're saying here with the amount of hours put into multiplayer that it actually just was the, the gameplay of it all keeps you coming back over and over again yeah 
And I think Perfect Dark didn't that require some one of those wacky N64 peripherals. Uh, yeah, the it was the oh, it required expansion the, pack. You know, the thing that you put in the it was like a port on the bottom of the N64 that you plugged in. I think you needed it to play Donkey Kong 64 as well. It was one of maybe a handful of games that utilize the expansion pack and the system still couldn't handle it with the expansion pack in so that i'll tell you um but yeah any any final thoughts before we wrap up here barry on on goldeneye why it's kind of uh the impact it's had on you i think i think it was a very in the moment thing i don't know that i would probably try and revisit it i mean I'm trying to think what is a facet of that game that won't have aged terribly. The music probably still holds up, but even at the time, the quality, you know, the, the sheer audio quality was blown away by the PlayStation. But like, you know, that controller, the aesthetics of it, the the, the linearity of it. I mean, I'm sure most of it uh, has probably dated uh, kind of poorly. But at the time, I mean, that was that was it. That was the pinnacle uh, of everything. Uh, and you know what? I would imagine maybe emulating it and maybe playing with a 360 controller. I would, I'd probably put money on that multiplayer still being all right. Hmm. Shout uh, out to the, uh, the menu here, design as well. Are you going? I was saying shout out yeah. to the, oh, yes. yeah, the menu design. Uh, yeah, really great. The the file, the file looking thing. Yeah, yeah that like was great. passporty. Uh, and the, the the hood, the hood in the pause menu where you have like his watch coming up. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's they'd be very good. Uh, Barry, any plugs you want to throw out there before we hit the road here? Uh, yeah, you can just uh, follow me over on twitter.com slash Barry youtube.com slash Barry Murphy Led. Uh, recently completed Life is Strange before the storm on there, which was a uh, um, really cool. Uh, and Hitman Patient Zero, uh, also done and dusted on YouTube. And you can go to the barrylad.com for the occasional article. I don't post on there too much, but uh, got a, a, a top ten game list on there that you can read. So if you enjoyed our game of Game of the Year Wars uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, you can see my my full top ten list on there. So yeah, check that stuff out. Cool, Barry. Thanks for being on episode one hundred. Cheers, Mega Man. And we're back in the studio. Self and Mark are here. You've heard now all the interesting people, and you're stuck with us again. Sorry about that. Um, but just some kind of final thoughts on 100 episodes before we wrap up here and send you all on your merry way. Um, I was trying to think as like who, who you know, we've talked about what games inspire us throughout this episode with, yep. with all the people here. We've already covered, I think, I've certainly covered uh, most of my favorite games at this point, apart from a couple that we're holding off on. Uh, for actual book clubs of themselves, so I don't really think this is the correct place to push. No, off the top um, of my head, I've got the one big one. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, we know which one that is. So uh, maybe related to uh, a franchise after which we named our podcast. Possibly. Who knows? Um, but yeah, this is, there'll be there'll be time for that. This show is more about like the people who we like to talk to. What what do they love? Because you hear enough from us every week. But what I was trying to think of was more a spin on on that. And rather than what are the games that inspire us to play video games, um, I want to throw like who are the the people in video games that ins- that not only inspire you to be part of the gaming community, but do things like this podcast where we're talking about this kind of stuff. Um. I I got two people straight off the bat. If you want to think about it for a minute, yeah, sure. Um, the two people straight away that I think of whenever I think of like how to conduct myself when like we're not 
in the industry we're not games journalists but i like to when we talk about stuff i like to conduct myself with a level of kind of ethical responsibility and uh even keeled fairness uh that, that i take from two people in particular the first, and both of them get mentioned on the podcast all the fucking time uh one of them is jim sterling mm-hmm. um who is i think the model for any uh video game journalist with a kind of consumer advocate bent that rather than like he does definitely talk about the medium the art form the mechanics things like that but his primary like motivating factor is making sure that consumers are fully aware of, of the rights or if they're being screwed over things like that so when when we tackle things like loot boxes and konami corner and shit like that in the back of my head that kind of the way jim sterling would conduct himself with that analytical approach is is absolutely what uh i'm thinking of and then the the big one who i think is is definitely uh, a common factor uh for the pair of us is uh one jeff gersman yeah uh, of giant bomb that's that's the big one he uh like we talk about we reference giant bomb a lot on this show and it's because i think the website has had like a genuine influence on on both of us in the way we we do this and the way we think about video games and obviously he's the main man behind that and if you ever look into his past and the circumstances uh surrounding uh, his dismissal from GameSpot back in 2008 we don't need to re-legislate i think the the biggest scandal in (laughs) journalism of the last decade but if you look around that like and the way he conducted himself and you know him standing up for himself and what he believed about editorial content you see they're, they're genuinely there there are very few people you could stand to as a proper ambassador for uh covering games uh critically than 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 jeff yeah i'm definitely with you on the jeff gersman and just on top of that he's a real funny bastard he really know? is you know he, re- he really really yeah. Uh, so one of the first people that i um i kind of met and and got a real kind of sense for oh hey this is like actual a thing you can do uh keith shirt was the former editor for the the gaming section at the guardian um, I met him, uh, well, he was hosting uh, an event um, at the kind of BAFTA headquarters, uh, and it was a um, it was an event with uh, Keith Stewart and Keza McDonald and um, love Keza McDonald by the way. Oh God, what's his name? Uh, I think it was he's one of the writers for um, The Wicked and Divine, and I can't remember his name. Um, Kieran Gillen. Kieran Gillen, yeah. He was there as well, because he used to be uh, a writer for Rock, Paper, Shotgun, I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, I met him as well, and he's lovely. Yes, he is. I And he loves the Manic Street Preachers. Yes, yes. So, yeah, they that was one of the first events I went to, and um, they were kind of talking about how to get into being a, a games journalist. And I got a lot of really good information out of that. Now, obviously, I never went on to become a full-time games journalist, but mm-hmm. I still picked up, like... The fact that we're doing this podcast now is because of that event and because mm. of those three. Um, so, kind of, I'm very much indebted to them. Yeah. Um, Mark Brown, who uh, is uh, under the Twitter handle of British Gaming, I've mentioned him a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, Game Makers Toolkit. Game Makers Toolkit is one of the best YouTube series out there. Uh, the way that he breaks down um, video games 
uh, and certainly his series on the Legend of Zelda temples, I mm-hmm. think, are excellent. And yeah, he's just he's just brilliant. Um, I suppose Yahtzee as well. Yahtzee to a certain degree as well. Like, yeah, he doesn't. Our work do, doesn't obviously mirror his because he's he's doing a whole different thing. Yeah. But in terms of, I think he's one of the very early people I was aware of as being a game critic. And, but also kind of like a personality as well. Yeah. You know. Not just like the the boring kinds of like when I'd read Nintendo official magazine back in the day and you would have no, you couldn't tell one person from the other. No. it was very, not slagging them off too much, but it was kind of cold and analytical. Yeah. Um, uh, now or at can, least all very similar in style. You can definitely tell Yeltsy, you know. Mm. Um, um, though, Yahtzee... pretty much the the Yahtzee series, like the the zero punctuation, like when he uh, was still using licensed music, uh, just go back and watch any of those episodes, uh, and it's just a treasure trove of genuinely funny uh, content. Um, so those, uh, the one uh, I had another one, and you you threw me off the you, you bastard. Sorry, I can add one more to the list if you want to think about it again. Uh, actually, uh, I really like um, kind of still on the the giant bomb kick. Um, Klepik, Patrick Klepik, yeah, is Oops. is is a really really great, um, just a really good investigative journal journalist, uh, and um, Riker's friend of the show. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but also no, um, God, his name has escaped me. It's this gone. is a fun game. Give me who is this? Tell me who it is. It's is Alex. It a giant bomb person. It's, it's Alex a, Navarro. Alex Navarro. That's his fucking name. Uh, Navarro as well. Kind of along the same lines of being a really good critic, uh, being very analytical. Um, the and... guy who paid his dues having to review the worst games in the world. Yeah, yeah. Try and track down that video on YouTube of him playing Euro Truck Simulator. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, but I really, like, I think that's where I really got into kind of listening to a particular podcast, like, week on week, when it was mm. Scoops and the Wolf, uh, Bombing the AM. Um, that was, like, one of my yeah. favorite podcasts for a while. Uh, my first gaming podcast would have been Podcast Beyond. I gravitated that towards the, because of the man I was I was going to name just there, and that's Greg Miller. Who sure, I think. yeah. You want to talk about a guy who, like, just makes, uh, has, has made a great name for himself as like a personality and a guy who's like hey video games are fun yeah you know what I mean and a PlayStation guy I'm a PlayStation guy like I'm a Nintendo guy but I'm a PlayStation guy as well um, obviously that show also featured the now long since binned Colin Moriarty <laughs> when he was still under tight editorial control and we didn't know any better um, but yeah Greg is another guy who and what he's done now with his own uh, kind of funny stuff as well like is, is quite something um, and Steve Burns because that hair oh the mayor of St. Neots himself oh my god yeah <laughs> we, that was actually that summer that we started the podcast when we both really got into video gamer stuff because they were like just yeah. fucking knocking it out I remember sitting the week. lads down here going you're going to need to watch this this is the Miller Report <laughs> and it was the one where he was at Gamescom yeah it was like Cologne, Germany yeah <laughs> Welcome uh, to Das Miller Report. Oh, and that one where he was given out to Rufus Hound. Yeah, just fucking... Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, there are a lot of really great journalists out there. And, like, there are people that are, you know, just fucking hell-bent on saying that game journalism is is dead and bent and... Um, nah, fuck them. Like, oh, Austin Walker. And Austin Walker as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really good journalists out there doing a lot of excellent work. Um, Danny O'Dwyer, no clip. Oh my god, Danny O'Dwyer! I mean, how Irishman, Warford man. Like, I actually think I'm ordering the no clip T-shirt. That that Rocket League video alone, I was like, yeah, this is he's yeah. doing something that is different. And, and the Doom from one for me, and the Doom one obviously as well. 
So, yeah, there's loads of really, really good journalists out there doing a lot of good work. Check them all out. Check them really all out. Really treat yourself. If two hours of us alone isn't enough a week, check out three hours of the Giant Bombcast. Maybe not going to push it. And then a subsequent two and a half hours of Beastcast. Uh, and obviously, Abby Russell is the best thing going today. Oh, the God of Pain. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, that's that's we'll leave you at that. It's been 100 episodes of Link to the Cast. You know the plugs are in the show description. It's been a special episode, so I'm not going to do the, the usual spiel at the end. I'm at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter. Mark is at Lithium Project. Do I end this with an 8-bit version of uh, My Way? The Frank Sinatra one, not the Limp Bizkit one. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Either or, really. Yeah, I suppose. Just a medley of both of them, actually. Um, Someone's yeah. probably done it. Here's to 100 more, buddy. Ah, oh. Congrats. I don't have a drink. Bye. Bye.